Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Slash Film Daily. Today, we're going to be counting down the best movie moments of 2020 in a special Writer's Room edition. I'm Jacob Hall, the managing editor of SlashFilm.com, and joining me are Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers Hoy Trambui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. Uh, hi, everyone. As you can hear, this is the one time of the year where I am leading the podcast, because this is our 50 best moments of the year of 2020. And if you've listened to past editions, you know what this means. We have a massive list of movie moments from 2020. We're going to cut them down and fight over which 50 make the final written list for SlashFilm.com. So this means, oh goodness, looking at our list, guys, we have 191 nominated moments, which means we'll be cutting 141 moments from this list over the course of this podcast. Real quickly around the table, nervous, excited, dreading, give me a word. Ooh, uh, excited. I look forward to this every year, so I'm, I'm pumped. I'm a little nervous because I, there are still some movies on this list I haven't seen yet, and they will definitely be spoiled for me, but that's just the price I pay for being a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> um, more confused that we have three uh, moments from Bad Boys for Life here. <laughs> uh, Chris, how do you feel about this daily arduous uh, trek? Like most things, I am uh, a hollow husk with some wind blowing through it. I don't really have much else. <laughs> well, to say. we will we will strive to fill you with new life over the course okay. of the next several hours. As Brad implied, this is all spoilers podcast. Any movie released in 2020 will be spoiled here. Uh, so if you're not copping movies or think, 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 if you're saying you care about deeply, turn this off. Come back later. The one exception is that we will have timestamps for films that were screened for critics or given or screeners were given to critics this year or last year, but not available for a regular audience yet. That means Minari, One Night Miami, Nomadland, 
we will timestamp those discussions so you can skip over them. We'll also try our best not to spoil those movies uh, in a great deal, but everything else, Bad Boys for Life, January 2020 release, will be spoiled, as well as everything else you've had a chance to see. So the, the basic rules here. I've devised a random list, uh, starting with me, the rest is random, sorry guys, of Jacob, Ben, Brad, Chris, HT, and that's the order we'll go in to either nominate things to cut or to uh, add to the final list, and we'll go from there. Alright guys, uh, we have our spoiler alert, um, we have our rules listed. 191 moments that needs to become 50 i think you're ready to start all right let's do it all right before we begin our proper rotation i want to make a suggestion i think there are two moments on this list that i genuinely believe all of us agree should be on the final list no matter what and i just want to put them out there before we begin a rotation you guys cool with that yes sure all right yep i i think the restaurant scene from the invisible man is on this list 100 percent. yeah absolutely yep Agreed. Yeah, for those of you at home, this is a scene where Elizabeth Moss's character is meeting with her sister in a crowded restaurant to tell her that her ex is has an invisibility suit and is trying to kill her. And in the middle of the scene where you, it's brightly lit, has comedic elements, a knife is lifted by the invisible man, cuts her sister's throat, and it's a genuinely horrifying, shocking moment that throws out all the rules in, in a movie that has felt unsafe for its entire running time, it sends it into a third act where everything feels off the rails in the best way possible. I think it's one of the most, probably the shocking, gas-worthy audience scene of a year where we saw too few films with audiences. All right, no one has anything else to say, so I'm putting Invisible List, <laughs> Invisible Man, locked in on our list. The other one that I think has to be on this list, and it's because it's the only scene on this list that made actual headlines... And what's talked about, like, worldwide in news media is Rudy Giuliani puts his hand down his pants in Borat's subsequent movie film. Uh, I would like this not to be on the list. Wow, oh, okay. Not because I have anything against it. I just don't want to acknowledge Rudy Giuliani exists anymore. Like, can we, like <laughs> I don't want like, I'd rather not see his name on our website. It just makes me physically, like, I rewatched, um... Moneyball the other day, and the opening of that movie has like like a World Series game with the Yankees, and it cuts to because it's like archival footage, and it cuts to a shot of Rudy Giuliani because he was the mayor at the time in the in like the crowd, and I was just like, ugh! It immediately made me want to like turn off the fucking movie. So, but that's just me. I'm not gonna like fight against it, but I'd be fine if we never talked about Rudy Giuliani again. Yeah, it's it's definitely a valid complaint, but yeah, this is this was a huge moment in cinema and. Uh, yeah, everyone was talking about it, and it, it definitely is, needs to be on the list. HD, you just watched Borat 1 and 2 for the first time. How do you feel about this being on the list? I completely agree that it should be on the list. Even before I ventured into the muddy waters that are Borat, I uh, had heard about this scene, so I feel like it was part of the zeitgeist so much that it needs to be here. Uh, ben, what do you think? God, I mean, I, I definitely share Chris's uh, revulsion at the idea, um, but I I think because we had so few movies this year that had like that shared cultural, uh, you know, zeitgeist moment, then this was definitely one of them. I feel like it's a good representation for 2020 in film. Um, so yeah, I, I think it should ultimately probably go on there. Uh, Chris, if I promise you'll never have to look at this entry and not, not proofread it, and I won't even put it on the doc, uh, <laughs> um, or on our, on our workload doc, uh, would you be okay with us sliding these in the, into Locked In? Sure. Okay. All right. Those are the only two, though, that I, looking at the list, I think, like, oh, wow, have to be on this list. So the rest of it, 
I want to start with us going through the cycle listed above. Me, Ben, Brad, Chris, HT. And cut some stuff. It can be one or two things or a bunch of stuff at once uh, based on like how connected you think it is. Like, for example, I'll start with one that I know is not going to make the list. I have on this list uh, Ben Schwartz and Sonic the Hedgehog and Jim Carrey and Sonic the Hedgehog. I am one of the few people on this podcast who thinks Sonic the Hedgehog is a pretty good movie. And I agree with you, Jacob. <laughs> I think it's a fun time. Uh, but HG, do you agree that the fact that I have Ben Schwartz in Sonic the Hedgehog and Jim Carrey, not moments starring them, but, but just them, is evidence that maybe they were better than any moments and don't deserve to be on the list. I think Jim Carrey's mustache honestly deserves some <laughs> <laughs> some attention on our list. But because it was also, maybe it was also a cultural moment. It was a time before, it was in the before times when people made fun of things like mustaches on, that, like gigantic mustaches on comedians. And um, I don't know. I'm for it, but you know, maybe I'm the only one. Yeah, I, I feel like, look, I would fight for Sonic if there weren't 191 items on this list. All right, fine. Cut it. All right. Cutting both Sonic the Hedgehogs. Uh, ben, cut something. Cut something that you love. Don't, don't cut something that you hate. Cut something that you love and want to send off gracefully. Yeah, there's a, a moment from this film called Unpregnant that I've been talking about um, that I nominated that I knew full well would never actually make it on this list. Uh, and it's Veronica confronts Bailey's dad. So it's it's um, near the end of the movie, um, which is streaming on HBO Max, and I encourage everybody to watch it. Uh, Veronica and Bailey are the the two main characters in the movie. They're they're high school friends or friends who are you know, sort of estranged and they've come back together to go on this uh, road trip to get one of them an abortion. And there's all these sort of side trips and, and fun little uh, moments and detours that they take. And one of the detours is uh, the Bailey character goes to confront her father who uh, is estranged and, and they haven't seen each other in a long, long time. And her father is like a real piece of shit to her and very cold and distant. And this girl, this high school girl is just, um, standing there, like, you know, hard on her sleeve, uh, just like laying it all out on the line. And her dad is just really, um, giving her the cold shoulder basically. And Veronica, the friend comes in and just like goes off on the dad, basically just like, do you understand what your daughter has gone through to, to have this moment with you to try to reconnect with you? And it's just a really sweet moment of friendship that, um, that sort of, to me represented uh, some of the best parts of the movie in that central relationship. Um, I know it's not going to make this list, but I just wanted to uh, to give a quick shout out to Unpregnant, which is one of the movies that ended up on my uh, top 10 of the year. But I don't know if anybody even on this podcast has seen it, let alone out there in uh, in listener world. So uh, maybe it'll inspire people to check the, the movie out. I actually just watched this uh, over the, the recent break, and I love this movie as well. And I am a little disappointed that you're choosing to to cut it. I'm not necessarily going to like fight to say no. Let's keep it. But I do think that it's uh, one of just like many wonderful moments of friendship between these two characters in a movie that you know just uh, is a great road trip movie, a great you know sort of coming of age movie, and has an incredible dynamic uh, between its two stars. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I considering there are some like moments on this list that I, I haven't seen and stuff like that i'm more inclined to like want this on there but if you want to cut it it's it's your choice well thanks for watching it brad i really just uh recommended cutting it because i didn't think anybody else had had my back on it but um yeah i, th I still think because like jacob said there's 190 things on this list we gotta it's not gonna make it so but everybody uh, should go watch unpregnant it's on hbo max right now <laughs> all right well i'm cutting unpregnant uh brad cut something um, I'm going, this was a, a fairly recent edition and I, I'm almost certain that it, it won't make it. I just wanted to call attention to it because I think that 
this movie kind of just flew under the radar for a lot of people, mostly because it's only available on CBS All Access. Um, and that is Sega Genesis missing out on uh, creating the PlayStation with Sony. Um, this comes at the end of the documentary, and it's basically like the the, the sort of the, the death knell for Sega falling out of favor after they came out of nowhere to battle with Nintendo. And This is for console wars, correct? Yes, this is for console okay. wars. Uh, and it's they're, you know, about this duel between Nintendo and, and Sega and how Sega basically dethroned Nintendo from being the home video game giant. Uh, and you find out that one of their the last things that they could have done was partner with Sony on making the PlayStation. But Japan's Sega headquarters abandoned it, thinking that it wasn't going to go anywhere. And as we all know, PlayStation is now one of the key video game contenders who uh, is, you know, battling all the time uh, with Nintendo and Xbox. So uh, I think it's a very uh, interesting reveal that comes in the documentary, especially if you haven't read the book, which was I hadn't before I saw the movie. And it's just a, a fascinating footnote in the history of uh, video games. All right. I agree. It's interesting, but we're cutting it. Uh, Chris, cut something you love. Oh boy, I don't know if it's something I love, but I put this on here as a joke, so let's let's cut every scene with Brahms the Boy in Brahms the Boy 2. <laughs> and in fact, I didn't write this other one, but the, the truth about Brahms is revealed in Brahms the Boy 2. Let's cut that too. I'm cutting two. Uh, I, I put the second one on there, and I agree they should be cut, but I think Brahms the Boy 2 takes some real wild swings uh, with its mythology, thinking that people care deeply about the history of Brahms, the... Uh, the doll. Maybe evil doll. <laughs> yes, for those of you who don't know, because you probably don't, because no one cares about Brahms the Boy too. In the first Brahms movie, just called The Boy, the doll wasn't actually alive. It was actually the the owner of the doll was living in the walls, which is ripped off of a uh, a movie called Housebound. But it's it was it was okay. Uh, in the sequel, though, they just go full out nuts and they're like oh by the way the doll is alive and there's like a demon inside it and it's really bad <laughs> it's a wild thing I, I think i like it while you hate it uh but brahms the boy 2 is absolutely not making this list so let's chop them both uh ht uh kill kill a darling mm, let's see uh a darling i'm going to kill uh one of the moments that i put on the list for love from Lovers Rock because the other moment I'm going to go to bat for. But this moment is London Wakes Up in Lovers Rock. It takes place near the end of this very short one hour film. And it's when the the two main characters, the two the core couple uh, are leaving the party where most of the film takes place. And the film's color palette changes from these warm red hues to this sort of cold blue and they're they they bike from the party and they kind of go through London which is somewhat empty but starting to wake up the buses are starting to go through a couple people are starting to to cross the street and it feels like waking from a dream like this the warmth of the night um was was uh represented by that warm reddish color that had that was uh, most of the film and they kind of feel like they're in this liminal space of being not quite awake not quite yet wanting to leave that that time and um it's such a like a a quiet like serene moment that uh feels like the world is starting to come in like reality starting to come in a little bit and uh they they have to um part ways so it's a it's it's a nice little moment but uh one that i will cut for this first round 
All right, guys, it's one round out. Let's, let's do another round of chopping. It feels good to get this list down a little bit shorter. So I'll, I'll go next. I have one, two, three, four moments from Color Out of Space on this list. <laughs> Nicholas Cage screams about the alpacas in Color Out of Space. Nicholas Cage loses his mind in his car. The mutant alpacas and the weather report slash news report slash news logo. The final one is just the fact that in this H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, you see a weather report and a news report that references a bunch of other Lovecraft towns with a logo for the news company that is an elder sign for Lovecraft fiction. It was super cool. It made me very excited, but I'm chopping the hell out of it because nobody gives a shit other than me. Um, Nicholas Cage loses his mind in his car. Is Nicholas Cage just freaking out in his car in a way that's kind of remarkable? That It's one of the key Nicholas Cage freak, freaking out of his career, but it is better summed up by Nicholas Cage screams out the alpacas. And the mutant alpacas, which are revealed late in the film, this alien entity turns the alpacas into these monstrous mutants straight out of John Carpenter's thing. I can loop that in with Nicholas Cage screams about the alpacas. I think that's all one item. So I'm cutting three out of the four Colorado Space scenes and leaving Nicholas Cage screams about the alpacas for now. <laughs> ben. Well, unless anybody wants to make a fight for Colorado Space, like, Chris, you've seen this movie. Uh, I... I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to fight for any of the. I mean, it's it's fun to watch Nicolas Cage scream, but it I I wouldn't argue for any of that to be on a list. All right, uh, Ben, cut something. Uh, I'm going to cut the battle scenes in Mulan. Um, I, I just felt like something from Mulan should be on here. That was one of the last movies I saw in a theater in 2020. And um, it was uh, it's a weird, <laughs> that was a very weird thing. But I, I thinking back on that movie, um, mostly it's mostly forgettable to me, but I really thought a lot of the battle scenes were like beautifully staged. And there's, they're all in these, like, especially the, there's, um, I think a couple that take place in this sort of like geothermal area with like smoke and colors that are really um, evocative and, and really just like straight up cool looking uh, that I just trying to think back over the the uh, movie moments of 2020 that sort of came to mind. But, um, you know, because I just put the battle scenes in Mulan and couldn't get more granular with it, I don't think that uh, I even I can make a strong enough case for <laughs> that to ultimately make it on our list. But I just wanted to highlight it. All right, goodbye, Mulan. Uh, Brad, what do you want to cut? Um, I think that I'll probably be the only one who goes to bat for this scene, and it, it's not because you know this movie isn't good. I know that um at, at least HT uh, really enjoyed this as well. Um, but I think I'm gonna cut uh, Scott getting reprimanded for giving a tattoo to a child in the King of Staten Island. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> it, it, the scene is, is so funny. It's one of the funniest scenes in the movie. And so it, uh, Scott is Pete Davidson's character. And he's uh, he gives uh, he's an aspiring tattoo artist. He's always giving tattoos to his friends. And as he's hanging out on a, a beachside with some of his friends doing tattoos one day, this nine-year-old kid comes up and is curious about what he's doing. And he wants to get a tattoo. So Scott gives him a really small, like, like starts to do a tattoo, but barely really gets anything on before the kid, like, runs away because it hurts. And so uh, his father is Bill Burr, uh, his character, and he comes to Scott's mom's house where he's living to angrily scream about, what the hell, what are you doing giving my kid a tattoo? And the verbal sparring between Pete Davidson and Bill Burr with Marissa Tomei caught in the middle trying to mediate and apologize to Bill Burr while reprimanding Pete Davidson. Uh, it's just a, a hilarious, you know, uh, dialogue-filled scene with just quick-witted one-liners and insults and whatnot. And I think since uh, mostly everyone else isn't necessarily uh, a big fan of this movie or maybe even hasn't seen it yet, it's probably not going to make this massive list. HD, do you think this one is worth fighting for? I like the scene, um, but I feel like it won't make the list ultimately because just uh, of the 
not not lack of love, but lack of affection, I guess, for the the movie. I think it's uh, nice that we at least got to mention it. All right, you go to Viking of Staten Island, you will be missed by two. Uh, uh, Chris, your turn to cut something. Um, I see there are one, three things from the old guard on this list, and I'm sorry, but the old guard is a piece of shit. And does what? Not, does not belong anywhere on this list. I'm sorry, but it's a bad movie. Ugh. Look, I get it. There is a really great, empowering moment where there are two gay characters, and they share this big, passionate kiss, and they talk about their, their uh, you know, uh, immortal love, and that's cool. It's great to have that representation in a movie, but that doesn't make the movie good. The movie itself is is bad. It's poorly constructed. It's all prologue. Like, the whole movie is set up for, in the sequel, that's when you'll meet the real old guard, and it's just it's just <laughs> a bad movie from wow. start to finish. And Strong uh, disagree, Chris. It's yeah, not belong on a, a best of anything list. I'm not on this train either, Chris. <laughs> However, I do agree that maybe, Ben, as the fans, maybe we should uh, meet Chris halfway and cut two of these moments and leave one for us to fight for later. Or I cut all of them and listen <laughs> to I Chris. think that's, that's smart. I think cutting two now is smart. The question is, Jacob, which one do we leave? Yeah, the, the, the three on here. Charlie Theron and her team get up after being killed. Uh, he's not my boyfriend, which is my pick. And I'm, I don't know how to pronounce your name. I apologize. The story I think of it's Quinn. Quinn. The story of Quinn, who is the immortal who is ch- chained up and put in a box and left underwater to die, drown over and over again for eternity, which is one of the most like horrifying Angel. things I've ever thought of. Um, <laughs> it's also from Angel. They, like, stole it from... <laughs> oh. See, I've never seen Angel. And I, I put that drowning moment on this list because it affected me so deeply. I've never... I was just, like, as soon as I saw it, I just, like... I think I was watching it by myself and out loud. I was just like, holy shit. How, like, whoever came up with that is just, uh, that is such a devious yeah. concept. I forget and what season it is, but there's a whole thing in Angel where he gets, like, locked in a box and dropped to the bottom of the ocean. I thought about that scene. Nice deep cut, Chris. I, I would argue, though, that scene is Angel is inside an unfilled coffin, is, and I, I believe, and whereas Quinn is literally drowning every few minutes, which is a little bit different. But yes, you are correct, Ben. There are, there are similarities, and I will begrudgingly give you that. Or sorry, Chris. Yeah, I just um, I, I I could go for either one of those moments, Jacob. The the story of Quinn or that he's not my boyfriend. Either one. I, I really like the old guard. So either one. As long as there's something on here uh, at this stage, I'm you know who knows. Maybe it'll all of these options will end up getting whittled off this list by the end. But so uh, we'll cut the scene where they all get killed, shot in the beginning, and I'll get up. Even though it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, has anybody else seen the old guard, uh, Brad or HD, to weigh in these last two scenes? Yeah. No, I don't really care about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in the middle. Um, I don't think it's downright terrible like Chris did, but I'm not in love with it like uh, perhaps maybe you you and Ben are. Um, I, I felt like some of the action sequences were cool, but the story felt mediocre to me, and it felt like uh, it felt kind of like a long TV pilot. Um, yeah. Partially because of the setup that Chris talked about for like, oh, here comes, you know, the team that we're really going to pay attention to in the sequel. And just because I, I felt like the production quality wasn't really there. Just like, as cool as the action was, it just felt like it took place in like boring locations and didn't really do anything exciting with what what is a really promising and cool concept. So I'm somewhere in the middle and if I were to pick one, I would say that it's definitely the uh, the drowning torture for, you know, what would have been eternity because I do think that that as an idea, even if it was, you know, in Angel before, is something that is uh, a very cruel uh, punishment to have in a, in a movie like this and it, it added a, an interesting level to 
you know what it would have seen as you know a benefit to Im- immortality. All right, I'm, I'll save a piece for the last one. He's not my boyfriend. Is a scene where two immortal lovers are captured by bad guys and are referred to as like boyfriends. And one of them gives an impassioned speech about he's not my boyfriend. He goes on this great Shakespearean speech about uh, how special the relationship is and how it's so much more than that. And ends with them making out in front of the guards. And it's it's actually straight from the comic series, which I also really enjoy. And it's a really... In fact, this was one of Netflix's most watched movies. And it features this prominently, proudly gay moment. It's really special. Uh, but I can't be precious about this list. I can't. So let's, let's leave Quinn for now and, and chop He's Not My Boyfriend from the Old Guard. Wow, really? I'm the one who wanted to cut all these. And I would say if any of them belong on the list, it's that one. But, uh, okay. <laughs> well, the, the monkey's paw curled its finger, Chris. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, HT, uh, let's cut one more thing from you, then we'll probably reassess how we're going to approach this list. Well, speaking of the monkey's paw, uh, <laughs> I'm going to cut the, the credit scene in Wonder Woman 1984. Not really speaking oh. of the monkey's paw, but you know. This would have been the one I fought. Okay, it's fine. Really? The credit scene? I mean, it, it, it made my wife and I go, oh, so loudly. But fine, it's fine. I'm not going to fight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun uh, fan servicey moment, and it's, it's sweet, but I don't think it really... Uh, you know, connects to the rest of the movie apart from that one shoehorned in sequence about like the past uh, warrior or whatever. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it'll make the list. Yeah, and this is a scene where Linda Carter shows up being the, an- another Amazon warrior alive and, sa- and helping people in-, in Earth. It's really, really neat. But yeah, if HT's not going to fight for it, I can't fight for it. All right, guys, we chopped off a, a nice little sliver of this list. And I think for our next couple rounds, we should go to bat for things that we think absolutely should be on the list. So nominate something. And if everybody agrees, it goes in the list. If not, we put it to the in-discussion area, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep on moving. So for this section, maybe go to the one that you think has to be on the list, one that is really important to you, one that you will absolutely go to bat for to the very end. And I'll start. Palm Springs. Uh, Niles gets one more sentence. And this is at the very end of the movie, uh, where uh, the characters played by Andy Samberg and Chris Milioti are trying to escape the time that, that they've been trapped in, and Niles has messed up the relationship, and he's really, really screwed things up. And he tries to get into her good graces, and she says he can have one more sentence to win her over. And he goes on this rambling, incoherent speech, uh, where he keeps on adding grammatically incorrect rules to keep a sentence going to try to convince her. And it ultimately seems to win her over, and we get my favorite exchange of the year. Uh, she says, what if we get sick of each other? And he says, we're already sick of each other. It's the best. And I've... I, I think a lot about why my relationship with my wife is healthy and why it works. And this scene has resonated with me deeply since I first heard it so early in 2020, about the idea of knowing somebody's flaws so well that you don't care anymore about those flaws. They're just part of life, man. It, it, it's, it's part of the package you love. And if Palm Springs is a film about, you know, growing up and growing out of your loops, uh, I don't think anything sums it up better than Niles getting one more sentence in Palm Springs. I am right there with you. Um, I, I love this, love this movie and I love that moment. And, and I, it, it hit me in, in the same way. Um, and I think, yeah, it absolutely deserves to be on the list. I, the only hesitation, Jacob, that I have is that there are so many great moments from Palm Springs, um, and maybe we'll end up having more than one on this uh, on this list when all is said and done. Um, but there are just so many. <laughs> I mean, we have several nominated here, but uh, I, I'll go with you on this one. I'll, I'll say yes. Uh, Chris and HG, I need your blessing if I can put this in locked in or in discussion. Uh, sure. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I yeah. <laughs> I, I I like Palm Springs a lot. I feel like it's a fun movie, but I really don't get like the the overwhelm the effusive love for it. But I'm not gonna, you know, fight. So yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right, I'm locking it in. Uh, ben, pick something that you absolutely think has to be on the top list. Um, let me see here. Um, okay, so there's a scene in Nomadland where uh, Fern, the character played by uh, Frances McDormand, she uh, it's established that she collects these plates and she the, her character is like living out of this van out of you know after coming down or experiencing this economic hardship and, and the whole movie is just like her out on the road and and being uh you know in, in this sort of nomadic community and and uh, it's very um it's a great movie and everybody should watch it but uh i know that it's not out available yet so i'm going to try to talk around this point a little bit but there's this moment where it's established that she collects these uh plates and something happens to them. They get they get broken in some way. And she, uh, instead of just, you know, th- these are like some of her few possessions that she actually cares about in this world. And instead of, uh, you know, completely breaking down or, um, you know, g- essentially giving up, the, I think it's the very next scene, is just her alone in this van, just slowly and meticulously gluing these things back together. And um, I thought that was a really, really beautiful moment that uh, that sort of really, for me, like encapsulated her spirit as a character and sort of, in a way, the spirit of this entire movie, like, and the community that it's portraying, these people who um, have been dealt a really shitty hand, this awful thing has happened to them, or, uh, you know, th- these circumstances that are out of their control have, have led to them being here, but these are tenacious people who are not going to just, you know, keel over and they, um, they're going to put their life back together in whatever way they can and, and move forward. So that, that sort of a representative moment, um, stuck out to me from Nomadland. So I feel like it should go on the list. Yes. I completely agree with Ben. And this was the moment for me that really defines the movie as well. It embodies like its whole ethos and, I think I spoke about this on the Daily Podcast before, but I'm going to repeat it again because this scene specifically like really moved me um, because it reminded me a lot of the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is the art of repairing broken pottery uh, by mending those broken areas with uh, lacquer that is mixed with powdered gold or silver. And it essentially is the... Um, the the craft of making something that was broken uh, to be more beautiful in its brokenness. And I think that so perfectly represents Nomadland, that these are people who are um, struggling with grief, with some sort of uh, loss in life, and they are so much more beautiful coming out of that, at at the end of the tunnel in the end, um, from all their experiences. So I completely agree with you. Chris Anybody Brad? else? Are we saying we, we agree or what? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. This is a great movie. I uh, honestly, I'd put the whole friggin' movie on the list if I could. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Brad, any thoughts about No Man Land? Oh, no, I'm right there with you. I, I love this movie, uh, one of my favorites of the year, and everything you and HT said about that scene, yeah, is definitely uh, a reason why it should be on the list. All right, locked in. Uh, Brad, pick a moment that must be on this list. A moment that must be on this list. Um, so I know we already have uh, a scene for this movie that um, is on the list, but I think that the second one also deserves it um because i think it just it goes against i think what we would expect to happen and this is the synagogue scene uh in borat's subsequent movie film um in this scene uh borat has come to a, a synagogue uh to meet with um some jewish women uh in in the temple to and he comes dressed as like the most offensive um propaganda image of a Jewish person you can you can imagine. Uh, all the stere- st- terrible stereotypes are there. And you expect this reaction where the the women will be offended or angry and you're you're cringing at what he's doing. He's walking in this place that is holy for Jewish people and it's just completely disrespectful. Uh, but the way that these women embrace Spora and speak to him so peacefully and nicely and calmly and just embrace him and try to reason with him and show them that his that this character's perceptions of the Jewish people is so flawed and to to have you know a character like Borat actually comes to some sort of realization even though it's not entirely uh pure it, what he realizes in his perception of Jewish people he he has this change and in a movie that features so much blind hatred and ignorance and things like that it is such a refreshing uh, moment, especially in you know a comedy that says uh, you know raunchy and quote unquote controversial in in some ways, and so I I think that just it, it just shows just how good people can inherently be and what can be accomplished if we just talk to each other and try to understand each other instead of uh, you know constantly arguing about things. This is a great scene. It made me want to die. It made me want to crawl into my skin because it was so hard to watch Sasha Baron Cohen do what he was doing in this scene. My one concern is this early in making our list, having two Borat scenes. That's one twenty-fifth of our list being Borat. I'm not sure I'm comfortable backing this 100% just yet. You told me to pick what I loved, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) What does everybody else think about this? I'm fine putting it in, like, the the mediation section if we want to for now. I say put it in discussion. Yeah, same. All right. Uh, Brad, um, let's go ahead and have you pick one more since we didn't didn't get one on the list. Let's see if there's another one that you can on there oh boy um let's see what else do i want from this list uh i'm gonna go with um so i actually wonder if maybe we should combine two moments on this list into one because they both kind of uh one basically brings about the the other in um a a way i think and i think i think they're kind of linked and you guys can decide if that's true and that's would be joe's joe sees life from a new perspective in soul and joe doesn't feel like he thought he would after playing the big show in soul and so joe gardner is a character middle school band teacher he's been obsessed with uh becoming a jazz musician a professional jazz musician playing gigs with jazz icons you know touring playing in jazz clubs and when he finally gets the opportunity to do so and and does he doesn't feel quite as fulfilled as he did the thought of doing what he's always wanted to do isn't nearly as satisfying and this goes hand in hand with him realizing that uh the spark that you have maybe the thing that you are skilled at that you love that you're passionate about doesn't have to be 
what completely defines you. It doesn't have to be your life's purpose and that you don't have to dedicate all of your being to it in order to live a fulfilled life. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that makes Soul one of the best movies of the year. It's it's especially in a year when you know we've been faced with so much hardship and things like that. It's good to know that you know not everything has to go as planned, or we don't always have to get what we want to in order to live a life that makes us feel happy and fulfilled. So I put the uh, Josie's life from a new perspective moment on there, and I I think I probably should have written Josie's his life from a new perspective because the moment that I'm specifically talking about was uh, at the end of the movie when uh, he sort of re-visualizes some moments that he saw in that, like... uh, the Hall of You or whatever it was called. I don't remember where like, you know, the, he and 22 early in the film are walking through his own memories or, or sort of a slideshow of his life. And he's just like eating food in a restaurant by himself. And it's like this really sad, pathetic moment. And he, he says something like, you know, my life has been meaningless or whatever. But at the very end of the movie, he has this new sort of outlook on life. And he sort of gets these, at, at, you know, because of his interactions with 22, he has this shift in perspective where he sees the beauty in those moments that before looked like they were pathetic and sad and uh, terrible. Um, so that moment where the music swells and it's really this classic Pixar montage kind of moment uh, is what I was talking about. And I feel like that's a little bit different than that's a different point than the the one in the uh, doesn't feel like he thought he would moment, but um, I don't know. So I'm not sure about the, how do you, how do you feel about that, Brad? Well, yeah, with knowing that clarification, I see what you're saying, and yeah, they're they're definitely they would be two separate uh, moments. Then um, I would argue as list master that we could com- they're both from one right after the other, and one leads the other, so we could cheat and have and make them into one entry, and I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Sure. Uh, because I cried throughout the pretty much the last third of Soul, starting with um, him leaving the club and like copious tears during him looking back on his life and realizing that living was the important part, not the accomplishments. That was an incredibly moving concept. The idea of realizing life is so much more than the one dream you think you have. I think both these moments can be combined, should be on the list. Uh, HT, Chris, thoughts? Well, I'm a little annoyed because I put the doesn't feel like he thought he would after the show and I was going to read that next, but now I have to pick something new. Um, I just want to weigh in on that scene specifically is the one that really meant the most to me in all of, of soul, because I've been in that situation where I've, I've set goals for myself and I was like, when I finally do this, I will feel legitimate. I will feel like I finally succeeded in, in my dream. And then, the moment comes and it passes and I'm like, oh, I'm just the same fucking person I was before this. And I feel completely very, very uh, oddly disappointed that, you know, I didn't get that euphoric feeling of accomplishment. So that's really why that scene in particular stood out to me. But if you want to, like, combine them all, I have no objections. Yeah, now I put I on our list new, is Joe after the show slash a new perspective in Seoul. I agree with this move all right well chris sorry to put you on the spot here but you are next <laughs> oh man now i gotta find um all right i was gonna i don't even know if this will even make the list but i want to point out the 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 very opening scene of possessor which is like my favorite movie of the year um because it is just uh it is a uh, it, it knocks you on your ass immediately and tells you what kind of movie this is going to be so i saw possessor at sundance i really didn't know what to expect of it i just knew the basic plot which is 
there's an assassin and she can upload her consciousness and other people's bodies and have them carry out the, uh, the, the, the assassinations. So that's really all I knew. And I saw this in a packed theater at Sundance and you know, all of us were in the same boat. We're just like, we don't know what we're going to get. And the movie opens with, um, uh, this woman. We don't know who this woman is. We don't know what she's doing. She just seems uh, like alarmed and off kilter. And we follow her into this really like fancy looking restaurant and literally, without warning, she just strides up to this guy. We don't know who the guy is either. She just strides up to him, pulls a, a knife out of her purse, and just violently stabs him to death. And it's just, it's really graphic, and it's really bloody. And I just remember the the rush in the theater as, like, when, we, when all of us at Sundance saw this, and we just all collectively lost our minds effectively because you're just like, holy shit, what, what is this movie? And, uh, it didn't let up from there. The whole movie is basically just nonstop <laughs> brutality. And, uh, but I feel like that opening scene really sets the stage for all the brutality to come because it's, it's, it's senseless and it's out of nowhere. And even if you know something violent is going to happen here, you're, you're not prepared for how, how visceral and how realistic the gore is portrayed. So I guess I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. I think one of the scenes in presents, we have four on this list should be on this list. I wasn't sure which one, but as, as a person who's batted the hardest for this film, if this is one you think belongs of those four, Chris, you have them back hundred percent. You know, it's tough. I mean, I, you know, like I said, it's, it's my number one movie of the year. So I, I'd be happy with any of these on the list, but I feel like that's like the most, I feel like that's the one everyone can get behind, I guess, is how I would put it. Because it's, you know, it's it's pretty clear cut. It's like, all right, here is what's happening in this movie. I don't, what this movie I don't want to be like. argue against the pick, per se, but I feel like the kitchen murders are so much more, I don't know, gruesome and affecting simply because of, and, and in part because of everything that came before. It's just, I think that, that the ending is so much more brutal and just it it's so much more of a, a, a gut punch um but i guess i sorry again no no it's that, that's all i really because because i because I, I agree that that open that I, I, it was shocking to watch that opening opening murder but i i feel like i would i would feel remiss if like we also didn't like include the kitchen murder just because of th- that scene is you know like i said it, it just really hits hard i guess my thinking uh not just this but the list in general is i try and think of which scenes not just in this movie, in any movie, would stand on their own. And yeah, that's fair. Like that, that, that you know, that scene you just talked about, great scene. But if you haven't watched the movie, it doesn't hit as hard. Whereas this opening scene is literally the first thing you see, and you don't really need any context. You're just like, holy shit, what am I watching here? But yeah. that's how I approach the list. But I know not everyone. We're all different here on the Slash Film <laughs> Podcast. Uh, ben and HT. Uh- Thoughts on Possessor in this scene going on the list? Uh, extremely disturbed by Possessor. Also very impressed with it. And I love this moment for all the moments, or all the reasons that uh, that Chris mentioned. And I think, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there end up being multiple moments from this film on our list. But I think the opening murder should definitely be on there. I couldn't bring myself to watch Possessor. I, I felt like I had to be in the right headspace and... I have said before, I'm a very squeamish person, and I just couldn't couldn't bring myself to watch it. I was like, I know this is good, but at the same time, I have heard you guys describe exactly how violent it is and the realism of that violence, and I was like, I don't know if I can handle that right now. So I have nothing to say about Possessor, except for I didn't uh, watch it. It sounds to me like this opening, the opening scene of Possessor is on this list. 
So I'm, I'm yes. going to I'm going to add it. Uh, HT, uh, what must be on this list? All right. Well, I just talked about uh, this movie previously, but this is the moment that I have decided to fight for. Uh, and this is the Silly Games sequence from Lover's Rock. And I think only two other people on this podcast have seen Lover's Rock, one of which Ben really hated it. But <laughs> I think that I feel I feel like this scene is one that is one of not only like the best scene of the movie, but one of the best of 2020. Um, so it takes place about maybe like two thirds of the way into the movie. It's the big, it's the big rapturous centerpiece of what had been up until now a sort of a, a tone poem, a mood piece, uh, where everyone is is more about being about being in the feeling, being in the vibe of this one night house party, um, and the the movie itself kind of ebbs and flows with the rhythm of the music that constantly plays throughout the film. But uh, this piece, uh, this sequence really stands out because um, it's a housewife sing-along of Janet Kaye's 1979 single, Silly Games. And the music stops for like the entirety of this sing-along. Everyone sings a cappella, a little off-key, swaying and dancing to their own singing. And it feels like this moment is suspended in this euphoria of the shared communal experience and it feels like the world just kind of falls away and everyone is just so overjoyed and excited and and to be in that moment and it feels so cinematic and beautiful and it it's the one moment to me that really transcends the rest of the film in its very Wong Kar Wai inspired sensuality this is the mo- this is the moment that makes it feel like the move this movie lovers rock is more than just steve mcqueen doing in the mood for love it's 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 so wonderful and just rapturous again so i nominate silly games from lovers rock i won't fight it uh chris as the one other one who has seen this movie and is a bit warmer to it than ben what do you think of this so i have a uh i have a yes with a caveat so this scene is great. Lover's Rock. I really liked Lover's Rock. My only problem with this scene is I really don't like that song, that silly game song. And there's a part where everyone is singing and they're singing at this like impossible high pitch. And they're just going like, silly games. And I was like, boy, I, I, I love the idea of this scene, but I would like it to stop because the all of them singing in that high pitch that none of them can hit is 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 – is bad. And I know that's the point, you know, they're, they shouldn't all be great singers. They're all a bunch of people at a party. It's not like they're, you know, a Broadway show, but uh, I love the idea of the scene. I love the way it's shot. I love the emotion of it, but I just wish uh, Steve McQueen or whomever had picked a different song, but that's it. That's my only, uh, that's my only uh, caveat, but I have no objections to it being on the list. Yeah, I think even I can get behind this moment being on the list because of the way that you spoke about it, HC. And I think, uh, like Chris, I I, uh, I appreciate what it's going for and understand what it's going for. And I just don't really love the specifics of it. But I think uh, as a representative moment of that movie and, and, you know, even like you could make a case of like, you know, it's the catharsis that we needed in 2020, like that kind of thing. Um, I, I could see that uh, easily being on here. So I have no problem with it either. Cool. All right. Locked in. All right. We're back around to the top. All right, let's open the doors a little bit. Let's, on your turn, feel free to nominate something to lock in the list or enter in discussion or cut something. 
In my case, I'm going to do a little bit of both. I want us to talk about Tenet. I have added a number of moments from Tenet on this list. I think one moment from Tenet should be in consideration for this list. The question is, which one? Here's what I have on the list. The end of a long friendship in Tenet, referring to the end of the film where Leonard Rob Pattinson's character has known uh, the protagonist for a long time, and that the beginning of their friendship is also the end, because of time travel. Uh, the Freeport heist, where they first enter the Freeport and survive the gas and fight uh, strange men who we later learn is themselves in the future, or in the past, however. Uh, the inverted highway chase. Return to the Freeport, where we see the Freeport heist from the alternate angle. Uh... And the final battle, uh, where the, the, it's the, uh, what, what do they call it? The, 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 uh, the temporal pincher movement? Temporal pincher movement, where characters are moving backwards and forwards in the same scene, fighting the same battle from different angles and times. And finally, one that I think it cracks me up, Elizabeth Debicki is tall. Because, <laughs> as, as I think Chris put this on here, because yes. he proudly lets Elizabeth Debicki tower over everybody else in the movie, and that's great. However, I think... Maybe we cut all these except one because I don't think everyone more than one. Elizabeth the one we're keeping is tall. Is yes, the one, right? <laughs> keeping that. So I actually think that the one that we should keep is, and it's, it's essentially two moments because I think because they go hand in hand, and I think it's just the the entirety of the Freeport heist, both the, the first part and then returning to it because they work hand in hand. They go. Uh, with each other so well and honestly i think while the inverted highway chase is cool it's very reminiscent of matrix reloaded for me and while there are some interesting moments in the final battle in tenet i don't think it's quite as, uh, as great as it's cracked up to be and as much as i love elizabeth debicki being tall um I, I mean it's it's just not one of the <laughs> 50 best moments of the year <laughs> yo debicki i'm taller than you by one inch come on <laughs> uh here, here's my thing i'll cut the final battle happily if um However, I, I really, really like um, Patch's character revealing that he's been friends with the protagonist for a long time. I, I, am I literally alone in thinking this is a really, really delightful, twisty, fun reveal? I do I'm think it's alone. cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. I, I, I think it's, it's the moment where the movie kind of clicks in place because a lot of the film is just kind of not really understanding what's happening and kind of expecting to be taken along for the ride but that's when the puzzle pieces somewhat start to fall in place i would i would say maybe we put the friendship one in discussion and put the freeport stuff on the list and cut the rest of the tenant moments all right if we can if we can combo the freeport heist like brad suggested which it's a great idea even though they're two separate moments for different parts of the movie i think if any movie would allow us to get away with that it's tenant yeah for sure <laughs> um how about we put Freeport Heists on the list, because I think something from Tenet belongs there. Uh, we can put the long friendship in discussion, as Brad said. And Elizabeth the Bicky is Tall is delightful. I love that it's on this list. I love that we're talking about it. I love that this movie let her be tall. Uh, but Chris, I, I, if you want to seriously argue for it, please, by all means. But will you? are you going to fight for it, or, or are we going to cut it? What, fight for her being tall? I will yeah. always fight for her being <laughs> tall, but I, I won't I will, fight for it being on the list. No, I will support sure. Chris if he fights for it, because I, when I think of Tenet, I do actually think just, a lot I about that want, Elizabeth Debicki scene where she like, is struggling to start like stop the car with in the back of the car. I think right. it's great, and I remember people talking about it on online, too, on the, tw the Twitter sphere. So I feel like it's one that sort of was uh, somewhat uh, in that cultural zeitgeist. Uh, uh, I can't exactly argue for like the entire public, but at least in the film Twitter circles that we're in. So here's 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 the reasoning. Like, yes, this sounds silly and jokey, and it is. But there's, you know, uh, Hollywood has this long tradition of 
of, you know, leading men do not want to be seen as short. Like Tom Cruise is the best example of this. Tom Cruise, great actor, really short guy. And <laughs> I just rewatched uh, The Color of Money recently. It's it's one of his early movies when Martin Scorsese directed it. And there are wide shots where you can see Tom Cruise is basically wearing like high heels so he can be as tall as Paul Newman and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. So it's like Tom Cruise would never do a movie with Elizabeth Debicki because he would literally have to like stand on apple crates and the fact that uh i don't have the exact quote in front of me but i I was reading a thing about tenet where the minute they cast elizabeth debicki nolan and his team were like you know what it's silly to to hide the fact that this actress is you know over six feet let's not even bother doing that and there's literally a scene where john david washington has to like stand on his tiptoes to kiss her on the cheek and i can't remember like ever seeing that in a movie, a, a movie where like a male, the male lead has to literally sit on his tiptoes to, to kiss the female lead. I think that, so while I'm not going to be like, we, this needs to be on the list. I, I, you know, and I, and while I do think most of this is, is done in jest, I do think it is kind of like a, a, a unique thing that, uh, this movie was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to, we're not going to hide that this actress is very tall. And I, you know, I think that's cool. But again, I'm not going to be like, ah, this must be on the list. So okay, I'm cutting the inverted highway chase, and I'm putting Elizabeth. I'm putting Elizabeth Bucky is tall, and end of a long friendship on in discussion because I think both belong. I don't think I'm ready to cut either of them after Chris's words there because Chris is right. It's gonna become uh, it's gonna become a pen and taller moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! We're, we're gonna get we're gonna get Elizabeth Bucky is tall in the list by a hair. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay, that was a good week. We got Freeport heists on the list. Get two ten moments in discussion. List grows shorter. Ben, pick something to cut. Pick something to discuss. Pick something to add. Uh. Okay. Let's see. Um. Okay. One that we can cut is one that I put on here. Uh, let me find it. It is uh, Capone murders people with a golden Tommy gun. And Capone <laughs> explains um, this. I've not seen Capone. <laughs> oh my god. So and and I, it's been many months since I've seen Capone. So if anybody else, I think Chris, I know you saw this movie. If anybody else has seen this, please uh, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong on any of the details here. But I believe this is a dream sequence? Question mark. Uh, it it might have been unclear to me even as the movie was unfolding. I don't remember this. Specifics, but uh, uh, Tom Hardy, who's playing Al Capone as this sort of like um, disease riddled older version of the character that you have not seen in any gangster movie before, uh, he grabs this golden Tommy gun and I believe he's wearing an adult diaper as it happens and he just wanders out into this like uh, palatial like like Florida estate kind of area that's like near a swamp and he just starts blowing people away and it is such a um it, it it's like the brief flicker of the movie that you might have thought you were going to get when you pressed play on a movie called Capone but it is very very short and really the only moment that is like that in the whole rest of the movie, which is a very weird and arguably terrible. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I thought it was <laughs> maybe worth mentioning just as like a, huh, that, hey, that actually happened this year in, in movies. So um, if anybody else wants to chime in, please do. You may convince me this should be on the list, but I'll, I'll shut up. Uh, anyone else that did I get those details right? Chris, you saw Capone, right? I really liked Capone. I feel like I'm the only one in the world who liked it. And 
I would have no trouble with this being on the list because I think it'd be very funny if we had Capone <laughs> on our list. Especially, it'd be really funny if we made it like number one. Can we just do that and like call it a day? <laughs> but I just want to add that you got that right, except for one detail is um, the whole movie Capone is trying to uh, quit smoking. And instead of using cigars, he, he puts carrots in his mouth. So not only is he wearing a diaper, but he also has a big carrot in his mouth, like Bugs Bunny. This is, not, this is not getting cut. This is not getting cut. This is going okay. in discussion. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, Fair I'm, enough. I'm on board for this, too. I know nothing about this movie, except people were talking about Tom Hardy shitting his pants or something. Oh, yeah, we should have that on the list. Tom Hardy shits himself. <laughs> this sounds... We should have this be, like, all Capone stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this sounds just as crazy as the lobster scene from Venom, so I think it just needs yeah, to go on it, the list. The, the Tom Hardy it's memorial spot like every two year. Two years in a row, Tom Hardy gets a spot on the list on like an absolutely reviled movie that is just one scene that is so bonkers that he, of course, gets to be on the list. Okay, so Jacob, after actually saying all of that out loud, I th- and and with the uh, the seeming support that it has, should we just move that into locked in now Fuck and just yes. be Let's done do with it? it. Fuck okay. yes, yes. More Capone on this list. <laughs> all right. I th- Thought I was going to get rid of that, but uh, we ended up locking something else in. So I don't know. Jacob, you want to move on to somebody else? <laughs> yeah, let's get Brad. Brad, cut something to start a discussion. Okay. Uh, I was given an ultimatum before this podcast uh, began, oh. and it came from Drunk Jacob, because Drunk Jacob is the one <laughs> who apparently found some things to enjoy about the stupid, awful, nonsensical movie that is Hubie Halloween. And yes. there, there are three goddamn scenes... That are, that are that are in consideration for this list, and Jacob told me that I have to choose one to go on here, and so I think that what what needs to happen here is because two of these are actually somewhat similar in a way, and so I think that what sh- what needs to be on this, and I and I'm I'm saying this because this is the one thing that I thought was actually uh, amusing throughout the entirety of Hubie Halloween is that Adam Sandler's character is constant constantly has things thrown at him all over this movie when he's riding his bike down the streets when he's running away through the woods uh he gets eggs thrown at him he gets rocks thrown at him by bears he cinder blocks uh, tons of different things and so since two of the scenes of the three on here involve him having things thrown at him i think that what should be on the list is hubie halloween gets things thrown at him in hubie halloween (laughs) since it's the, the the one good like gag that runs throughout the entire movie Alright, the three scenes on the list. Rocky Balboa style, where he catches a bunch of eggs thrown at him, uh, drinks them all from his from his uh, thermos, then pukes all in one long ongoing shot where you can't see the puke tube. Uh, astonishing filmmaking. Uh, the ugly cat in Hubie Halloween, where Hubie's girlfriend insults a woman and her cat, and they cut to a reaction shot where the woman looks shocked, but so does a cat because they see giant's face to have a reaction Oh my god. The fact that you're laughing so giddily about this makes me so mad. And the last one is, the last time Hubie is, we see things thrown at him, Hubie is driving through the field on his bike. And instead of, but there's no people around, but there's a bunch of people in bear costumes. And the bears are throwing rocks at him because there are no people, but someone needs to throw things at him. So there are bears. Oh my god! Oh this is just the worst. It's just the, I hate it so much. <laughs> uh, so, Brad, uh, so you, you think we should combo two of these? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it should just be Hubie has things thrown at him throughout the entirety of Hubie Halloween. Okay, I'm gonna move that in, in discussion, and, and otherwise move them from the list. Uh, yeah, actually, here's the deal, Brad. I will cut all of Hubie Halloween permanently off this dock under one condition. Oh, interesting. We okay. agree that. We agree that Hoobie Halloween is a top secret number 51 on the final list. <laughs> oh my God. 
yeah, I think that we all win when we do that. So yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I need to sign off from every person on this damn podcast. I mean, I I agree. I haven't seen this movie, but it sounds really awful, and the idea of it not being on the list sounds like a plus to me. So, yeah. What's I'm, the argument? What are we, what are... Oh, go. I, I'm happy that you love it so much, Jacob, and that it gave you some joy in your life. But uh, yes, number fifty-one. Yeah, Chris, if you agree that Hoobie Halloween is the top secret number fifty-one on this list, I'll remove it from the list entirely. I don't know. I kind of want it in the main list. Let's let's fight this. Because <laughs> you're so messy. <laughs> All right. No, I, 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 uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, as long as we all know deep down in our hearts, there's a place for Hubie. Uh, we fine. do. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I admit defeat. I, I admit defeat. Good job, Brad. You win this round. Chris, your turn to cut something or nominate something or start a conversation. Uh, okay, there's like a there's three different. Hamilton numbers on here. Uh, I put two of them on here. Um, uh, I don't know if we want to like cut all three, want to keep one or what. I would I would say if I had to go to bat for any of these three, the three are satisfied one last time and wait for it. I would probably push for satisfied, which uh, is just um, not only is it like probably the best song in the whole musical, it, the the staging is phenomenal. And the way they shot it, um, I, I I love Hamilton. I love I loved watching the the film version, but I have some qualms with uh, how kind of unoriginal they were with filming it. They basically just let the camera roll and, and let people run around stage, and then they they insert a few close ups. But I do think for this particular uh, musical number, they actually did try to go all out, and there's a bunch of like overhead shots that keeps cutting around, and at the same time, it also displays how much work goes into that scene because that scene in general, not only is it a new song, all the actors on stage are recreating everything they just did from the previous song because the whole thing is they're rewinding back to a moment we already saw. And the way it's staged is is really good. And not only that, just the performance from um, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who who's, sings the majority of the song, uh, on the the recorded version, the you know, the cast recording, it's great, but it's even better in this staging. Like the the notes she hits here are just fucking phenomenal. So, if I had to pick one of the three things on from Hamilton that are on this list, I would probably go with that. Although I I like the other two immensely as well. That that the one last time recording in particular is um is fucking just great. Where George Washington is. Leave is stepping down basically, and Christopher Jackson sings the hell out of it. And uh, wait for it; it's also good. This is tar. I should have gone this way because now I want all three on this list. But <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my guns and say if I had to pick one of the three, it would be satisfied. But what if Chris? What if we say Hamilton is the great work of art of the past decade, but it's also not a movie, and we should cut all three of them? Well, that would be Ooh. a silly thing to say because this is a movie, Jacob. So <laughs> I, gonna... I think I agree with Chris because for me, I was hesitant about about Hamilton in general as well, just because I feel like it was something that was already meant to be experienced on the stage before it was recorded and put on Disney Plus. And like Chris said, the the recording of the stage production itself is not necessarily super special, but the scene where they do something new. And like everything that he described, I think really stands out from it. And this is coming from somebody who was lucky enough to see it on stage uh, before you know the the pandemic and everything. And I just think that 
the experience of watching Hamilton in this form, while it's the first time a lot of people were able to experience it, it doesn't feel cinematic enough to have the other two moments on those lists and it's, it's so much more uh you know satisfying of experience on stage and and for those reasons i think satisfied is the one that should make this list if any of them do it is the best song it's the best song on the list i just if ben and ht all think a more hamilton belongs on this list I, I will step back i just it's just a camera filming a stage and i just can't get over that ht where do you come down on this i fall I fall with um, with Brad and Chris. I especially think that I agree with Brad's um, assessment of this, where it's it is kind of very pedestrian, like it's filmed very pedestrian, like. But uh, Satisfied is such a showstopper, and Hamilton is such a big pop culture moment from this year that I feel like it has to be there. Yeah, I put Wait for It on the list um, because I I really go back and forth, but I I kind of feel like that's the best song in the whole thing, and. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. just like, I mean that 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 is the Aaron Burr song in in the show, and he just m- murders it on stage, and it's so amazing. But I love pretty much all of the songs from Hampton, and I think Chrissy made the case really well for Satisfied being the standout moment because of the uh, sort of interesting way that it's shot and staged and all that. And and as much as I love Wait for It, it's pretty. Yeah, like pedestrian, I guess, in terms of how it's filmed. So I think if we if we put one Hamilton moment on there, I'm I've got your back when it comes to satisfied. Also, I just want to jump in and say that if this version of Hamilton, this recording, had all be had all been done one day, one take, I would agree that it's it's not a movie. But they actually shot this over like multiple days. They did close ups and all that stuff. So as uninspired as some of the filmmaking is, I really do think it, it needs to to be classified as a film i know jacob doesn't agree but uh jacob is wrong here i'm not gonna fight i I think hamilton is legitimately maybe the defining piece of american art of the past 20 years like straight up uh i'm going to i just wish that it was there was a bit more effort behind the camera but i'm i'm gonna cut one last time and wait for it and put satisfied onto the list locked in if you guys are cool with that yes yes all right how big is this list going to be in the end? The, uh, the final fifth, one? 50. Just 50. Oh my God. What do we have now? Four? We have 10. We have 10 <laughs> locked in. <laughs> We've also cut quite a few. So, um, uh, HT, is now your turn to either cut something or, or nominate something or start a conversation? Let's see. I think there should definitely be a moment from Birds of Prey. Um, and I uh, lean towards the hair tie toss because that was a moment where I squealed with delight when I watched in the theater. Um, but there are so many other moments, like the breakfast sandwich, too. But I think we can go at least with one moment and maybe cut a bunch of the other moments in Birds of Prey. Um, so, can you read them out, HD, for the people at home? I'm sorry? Read out all the moments for people at home? So we have the hair tie toss scene in Birds of Prey. Harley assaults the police station. Harley inhales the drugs. The roller skate chase. And the death of the breakfast sandwich in Birds of Prey. <laughs> so I, I think that, well... I think we can cut the uh, the three in the middle. Harley assaults the police station. Harley inhales the drugs and the roller skate chase scene because they're all really fun, but and they all sort of embody that really stylish, really frenetic style and um, uh, like excitement of Birds of Prey. But the hair tie toss was one that I remember being talked about a lot and one that gave me a big emotional reaction. Meanwhile, the breakfast sandwich had 
an emotional arc to it. Like there was there are two beats <laughs> to this breakfast sandwich, which was really funny to me. So I am down to discuss both of those in terms of either putting them in discussion or putting them on the moment, uh, putting them on the list, because I think that at least one of them deserves to be on the list. Yeah, I'm going to cut those middle three. I think you're 100% right. Um, but uh, the rest of them, uh, there are two. I would like to toss up some respect for that, uh, the, the drug scene, though, because the... Uh, it's really funny. It's, it's yeah, scene. not only is it funny, but just but man, the uh, what Margot Robbie does in that scene because she did do a lot uh, a good amount of her own acrobatics and fighting stuff in that scene. It's impressive as hell. Yeah, I think the roller skate chase uh, is such a. It's not just a fun chase. It is a chase scene designed with the strengths of that character in mind. Uh, and and like that's something like it's not a generic action scene. It's a scene that what's it, what's it, what's a action scene Harley Quinn can do, and it's really really fun for that reason. Same with the police station assault, but I agree with HG that there's two to fight for. I think the hair tie toss, which is a minor, wonderful, feminine detail in an otherwise masculine genre, and the death of the breakfast sandwich is just too damn funny. So I'm cool cutting those middle three. Cool. All right, so uh, is anyone else leaning towards one or the other of these two? I think for me, I'm leaning towards the hair tie toss because it's such a specific moment. And again, like you said, Jacob, very feminine and one that people really rallied around uh, when it took place on screen and one that you would rarely see in a superhero movie, let alone an action movie like this. And such a minor detail, but one that really lends a lot of texture to this movie and one that's already in a movie that's already very female forward, female empowered. Like the soundtrack is every song, every track is by a female artist. It's a female led movie. But this one I feel like is such a specific detail that it, it makes it feel more than just feels. It feels more close to that female empowered, you know, mantra than any of the other aspects of it i think that's the one yeah I, the, the breakfast sandwich is so great I'll, I'll back you on this hg because of all the reasons you just said but i think the breakfast sandwich um you know e- even if we are cutting it uh, just to say goodbye to it uh that's such a great moment that like you know a few years ago you would never expect to see something like that especially in a a dc movie like dc is like the uh you know you would expect something like that in a marvel movie maybe but for for dc to include uh a moment of levity like that um that is so well executed and like they they really go the extra mile like you're saying to to set it up and then pay it off in slow motion and like you really feel harley's pain when she loses this thing (laughs) yeah um so when that (laughs) breakfast sandwich fell on the ground but I, th- I think you're right. I think the specificity of the hair tie toss, even though it's like, what, literally one second of screen time or something, um, is just so, uh, yeah, so unique to this movie. Um, and, and it does kind of feel like the breakfast sandwich thing could have been in another movie. It's just surprising to me that it was in this movie. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll back you on that. All right. Anyone else? Uh, um. I have, I have nothing to add. I whatever whatever works best. So how about we uh, put hair tie toss locked in and that's, that's a big breakfast sandwich into our in discussion for now. All right. That's yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so we're back around the loop. Let me people at home listening to sausage get made. You're listening to me work on a Google Doc, trying to get caught up on on that while I talk. Trying. Okay. <laughs> I want to run through the list real quickly because there's stuff here that's not going to make it. So I'm just going to go down a list of, of stuff that a lot of which I may have added, some of which he may have added, and let's have the quickest possible discussion to get some crap knocked off this list. Uh, so I'm going to run down through here. The finale of Amulet, a horror movie that I really dug. I found very frustrating and hard to parse until the last 15 minutes, where it reinvented itself in this really 
stunning, upsetting, disturbing final sequence. I know Chris hated this. I don't think anybody else saw it. I think we can cut it, right? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I yes. seen it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, you hate Amulet, right? Am I right about that? It's. I did not care for this movie at all, okay. so yeah, I might have yeah. no problem with it not making yeah. the list. I think it's super interesting. Uh, I think it's really ambitious, but I'm cutting it. Um, let's see, going down this list. Uh, climbing Up the Stairs in the Beach House, a horror movie I really enjoyed. This is a scene where a character has suffered some body horror and is very slowly climbing up these long, steep stairs from the beach up to the house, the titular beach house, and his arduous, painful sequence. And so much so that there's one shot where a hand comes up over the edge of the steps. They use it for the post of the damn movie. I don't think the Beach House makes this list. Chris, you've also seen this. Is this not going to make it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it shouldn't be on the list, no. Okay. Uh, has anyone else here seen Blood Quantum? No. 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 Uh, no. Blood Quantum is a horror film, a zombie movie, uh, where uh, set on a Native American reservation. And for the first 45 minutes or so, it's a pretty standard zombie movie, uh, except it's set uh, um, on a reservation. A character are all uh, Native Americans. They're making a, a Native American sheriff on this land. And it's, it's very entertaining and very unique for its setting. Uh, but it's, otherwise, it's pretty standard stuff. And about halfway through the movie, it's a time jump of, like, unspecified, maybe a year, maybe two years, where the reservation is walled up. It, um, and it shows this Native American population has uh, how they managed to survive the zombie apocalypse. And it, the rest of the movie is set in a completely different world, one where they have completely rewritten the rules of their lives to... Um, to survive, and there's a reveal that Native Americans are immune to zombie plague, so all the white people are, are banging on their walls and on gates of the reservation, demanding to be let in, and it's this fascinating time jump that really explores how society rewrites itself. But like I said, as the only person here who's seen Blood Quantum, there are ones on this list I, I would like to fight for more. But Blood Quantum is very interesting and very good. Um, action Park, we have two moments for Action Park. We have the loop slide in Action Park, or Class Action Park, and my joking one, pick a moment in Class Action Park, because I couldn't decide which one to pick. I like Class Action Park, guys. Do we think it makes the list? No. Yeah, no, I liked it a lot. I mean, yeah, if, uh, I, if, if I were to pick one, I would say the loop slide, just because it's such an... In, I think it's the most insane part of a documentary yeah. that has plenty of insane things in like, it. What do they say? They're like nails, people's nails, and like teeth. Their teeth were embedded, like yeah. stuck in the slide and that people were cutting themselves on. That was insane to me. I right. think Class Action Park is an example of a great subject for a movie that's really poorly done. The movie itself is really like they keep reusing the same footage over and over and over. And I get that they only had a limited amount of footage to work with, but I feel like as wild and crazy as that story is, and it is, the movie itself is is kind of poorly made, so I would feel weird if it made this list. Then again, Capone is on the list, so who am I to talk? <laughs> well, I think what you're talking about, Chris, is like the exact reason that we are doing or having like this kind of discussion. Like, I don't think anybody's going to argue that Class Action Park is one of the best movies of the year, but I think the the ideas that it presents and and displays, you know, however poorly, uh, <laughs> you know, throughout throughout the rest of the movie. Um, yeah, but it's I, not I even think... like a case of good filmmaking. It's literally just talking heads on couches and then cutting to some archival footage and some really shitty animation I should add. God, the animation <laughs> that movie drove me fucking nuts. Like it, it's like stick figures. Oh my god. Yeah, well, you know what? You know actually, you know Chris has convinced me. I'm actually I actually don't want this on the list anymore because I uh, I was just reminded how terrible the animation was and I think it's we're focusing on the subject matter rather than how it's presented in the movie. And in the movie while it is, it's funny to hear about it, it's not presented in a way that makes for, like, a best movie moment. I also agree. Yeah, you guys have convinced me. 
right. I want to cut Circus of Books, the sex toy convention. This is a mo- movie I enjoyed. It's about a family-owned uh, gay uh, sex toy and porn shop in Los, in Los, in Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, in California. And it is about this family who, who stumbles backwards into this business, even though they're not, you know, they're a very traditional uh, family in many ways. And there's a great scene where the elderly mother, the matriarch of the family, uh, is at a sex toy convention looking up new stock for her store and is deeply uncomfortable because she's a very traditional woman, but this is, but this is her, this is her business. And it's an incredibly funny scene and a very entertaining documentary. But I don't think anyone else here has even seen Circus of Books, right? This is the first time I've even heard of it. Yeah, yeah I'll cut it, but it's a very fun scene that moves on Netflix. Uh, so let's keep on drawing blood, scrolling down. The one earned extraction. Come on, extraction sucks. <laughs> I put it on here just because no, uh, no. that was like the only notable moment of that movie. But I also agree that the movie is not very good. Uh, that so. sequence is fucking awesome, and like it's it's an incredible single single you know uh, take action sequence. And I I feel like it should be on this list because like there there are few other moments that are as well crafted and put together as that one, as far as action is concerned. All right, I'll put it on in discussion for now, Brad. Uh, but. I think there's a better action scene on this list. In fact, let me double back there. I'll, I'll, I'll end my run through this list and hand over the reins to somebody else who wants to make a run through this, possibly. Uh, let's talk about Bad Boys for Life. Aishi made a joke about this. Bad Boys for Life is actually good. It is actually really good. In the hotel shootout that ends the movie, in a year where most big action movies were delayed for obvious reasons, the hotel shootout may be the best action scene of the year. Doesn't mean it makes this list, but it is very good. Uh... The other scene I have on here, Mike fucked a married witch in Bad Boys for Life. It's a very funny scene where Will Smith dramatically reveals that the bad the villain of the film is his long-lost son and uh, that he fathered with a drug-dealing uh, Mexican witch. And all Marcus can talk about is how aghast he is that his best friend had sex with, with a witch. And it's very funny. But the scene from Bad Boys for Life that I think belongs in contention is very early in the film. Mike, Will Smith's character, is gunned down and drive by shooting, and he's barely clinging to life. And Marcus... Uh, in this uh, real tour de force performance uh, from a comedic actor who we never see being dramatic, goes to the, to the hospital chapel and talks directly to God and promises to give up violence and tearfully says that, do me this favor, let my friend live, and begs God to let his invincible buddy survive You know this night in the hospital. And in a movie series that does not give a shit about its characters before this, I was invested by this film pausing and slowing down to let these characters be characters and let their relationship matter. If you guys don't think it belongs on the list, that's fine. But I think Marcus Talks to God should at least be in contention. I have not seen this movie, so I can't really weigh in. Yeah, I made the joke about it because it's Bad Boys for Life, but also I have not seen any Bad Boys movies. (laughs) So I have no emotional connection to any of these characters at all. Chris, what do you think? Um, Bad Boy for Life is a shockingly good movie. Um, it's, I went into it being like, this is going to suck. And it was like surprisingly good. And it's surprisingly, I don't want to say sweet, but I guess it is surprisingly sweet. And it is. It's very Because sweet. the previous two movies, as fun as they are, they're very mean movies. Because Michael Bay is a very mean filmmaker and he gets off on cruelty. And that's his, that's his thing. And, uh, I don't have their names in front of me, but these new filmmakers, obviously aren't like that um man i don't know i haven't seen bad boys for life since the beginning of last year when it came out so the scene doesn't like stick in my head as as much as it's doing for you right now i think i think if there is one scene it it should be that scene and simply because i i like it too because it it goes along with not just the you know 
making you care about these characters more than you might have before. But I think it fits in with this idea that so much time has passed since Bad Boys 2 that these characters are older now and they're not, you know, they're not even cinematic invincible anymore. And showing, like, their age in this way and, like, having Martin Lawrence come to terms with the fact that that they really could die at any minute, you know, especially now that they're not in the hands of Michael Bay, um, you know, that I, I think that that adds a new dynamic to the franchise that we haven't had before. So how about we cut Hotel Shootout and the Buried Witch stuff and put Marcus Talks to God in, in discussion? Because I'm not prepared to let it go. I'm not, I'm not prepared to block it in. But I think it's so much more interesting and moving and character-driven than any other Bad Boys movie. And it's Bad Boys for Life is the first Bad, Bad Boys movie that I think is actually genuinely good without asterisks. It is actually a good movie. And I think this moment is a summary of why. All right, uh, Ben, I'm going to hand it over to you now. If you want, I would love for you to do what I did and make a big rough shot over this list of cut shit. Yeah, okay. Um, so, uh, Baccarat is on the list. I think, if anything, maybe we could put like one moment from that movie, but there are three things here. The naked shootout, the town fights back, and the finale slash cleaning up. Um, I would say that of those three, the town fights back is the one that, that sort of uh, stood out to me. Um, HG, I know you saw Baccarat. Um which of these uh, sort of stood out to you? Yeah, I lean towards the town fights back in Baccarat too because the naked shootout is actually I don't I don't love that scene. It's kind of the the scene where the movie goes too far into the B movie trash that it's sort of making fun of and sort of poking fun of, but I don't love it. Um, but the town fights back is something that's very it feels uh, very singular. And in line with the strange, weird Western film that this movie is is uh, is shooting to be, so I I also um, vote for the town fights back. Yeah, town fights back is the scene here. Uh, it is cathartic and amazing, and st- and staged in a way where the violence of it is it feels like vindication for the characters without ever glorifying the violence itself, which is a really really tight rope to walk. Uh, I'm cool cutting the other two if we lock in town fights back. In the, in the top 50 yeah yeah i think it goes in there and i think the it, just to give a quick shout out to like one specific thing the idea of the guy walking into the uh, sort of history museum of the small town and seeing all of these blank spots on the wall where the weapons should be um <laughs> oh, was such a cool shot i love that that specific moment so yeah i think this should definitely be on there all right so wait, 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 continue. From, from brad and chris have you guys seen back around no, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet either. Are you guys cool with, with, if, if it has mine, HD, and Ben's support? Do we have your blessing? Yeah, sure. and, cause I, and especially because I've seen that movie all over tons of critics' top ten lists, so I feel like something from it has to be on the list. Also, Chris, you would really like Baccarat, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I, I keep meaning to watch it, and then I don't. <laughs> okay. I believe it's on the Criterion channel right yeah, now. Yeah, it's so anybody also interested. a $5 rental on Amazon for those of you who don't have that. It's, it's also on uh, Canopy, which is a free service you can access through your library uh, to stream it on there. Uh, All right. Ben, cut more shit. Okay, so the uh, teen reporter goes head-to-head with the superintendent in Bad Education. I put this moment on here, but I think there are a couple other moments from Bad Ed- Education that are also on this list that maybe we can talk about later. So I just I, I thought uh, Geraldine Viswanathan, I believe that's how you pronounce the actress's name, uh, was really good in a very small role in that movie. And just like her clashing with Hugh Jackman, I thought was entertaining. But um, I think subsequently people put other Bad Education moments uh, that, that we should actually have a conversation about. So we can scrap that one. Um, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, 
Man, I was about to, to cut one that I actually do want to go to bat for, so I'm going to save that for later. Uh, Mary Holland's one-liners and Happiest Season, I wrote that down. It's it's too broad to actually make this list, uh, but Mary Holland plays one of the sister characters in this movie, and she also co-wrote the film, and I thought she did a really good job giving herself some of the best lines in the movie. Um, her character is, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a typical sort of studio comedy goofball um but it really most of her shtick worked for me in the movie but um i I don't know if anything that she does in the film deserves to be on the the 50 best movie moments of the year so i just wanted to give a quick shout out to that uh let's see let's see um man there's so many good moments we haven't even gotten to yet guys uh um i'm trying to think of something that would be easily cuttable. Um, if you want to pass, feel free to pass. We can keep this movement. It's up to you. Okay. Well, let, let's have a the personal history of David Copperfield conversation uh, because there are one, two, three, four, five yeah. moments on, on here. Um, and here's where I make a confession that is going to get everyone to hate me. Uh, I turn this movie off like 20 minutes in before Dev Patel even shows up because I could not stand it. Oh, so, um, wow. Yeah. I, I was so, it was so grating to me. No. Um, ben, why do you hate fun? Do you hate joy? I can forgive the lover's rock thing because, yeah, it's a very specific experience. And if you don't like it, then you don't like it. But do you hate joy? No, it, there was nothing joyful in the first 20 minutes of this movie. I, I encourage you to go back and watch the part just before, like before Dev Patel even shows up. And uh, man, it is just, that is a rough sit for me. So I just, I bailed, but I know there are several moments that you guys clearly care about. So let's hash that out. Yeah, let's, let's, I think like Chris HT and I are big Dave Copperfield fans here. So of the, of the five here, I'll read them out loud. Flying a kite, no donkeys allowed, confronting Uriah Heap, the pawn shop adventure, and the gathering at the house, aka the final scene. I'll say if I had to pick one, the pawn shop adventure is my pick. Uh, HT and Chris, what do you guys think? I actually was gonna pick flying the kite. Um, I really like that scene. I think Hugh Hugh Laurie is really funny, and the it's just such a it's such a whimsical and unique scene, and the idea that they are uh, putting all of these thoughts that is are in Hugh Laurie's head from a, a king from a deceased king and that they're flying it out into the sky is so offbeat and whimsical and i just really like that scene it's 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 so sweet uh chris what do you think oh man if of those things listed here my favorite would have to be like that that big ending but it also goes against my out of context thing so i don't know if i can i will have to abstain from all of this i don't know i don't know uh i'm i'm i love uh david copperfield i thought it was a really fun movie but i would also not be angry i would not like be upset if it didn't make the list at all so i don't know i'm kind of like in the middle somewhere i'm neutral ben would it appease you if we put pawn shop adventure and flying kite on in discussion and cut the rest yes okay with that. uh yeah i'm fine with that and then just a, a couple more quick things on this list that I wanted to uh, to point out. One thing we can cut, uh, the Detroit realization in Sylvie's Love. And I know Brad has seen this. I'm not sure if anybody else has caught up with it. Um, I've seen it. But I, okay, she saw it too. So there's a moment where uh, the lead character, who's this, or one of the lead characters, who's this uh, jazz musician, he has a friend who tells him like, oh yeah, come to Detroit. I'll get you hooked up into the, the music scene here. And he actually does. Like he, he takes him up on it. He calls him ahead of time and says like, hey, I'm coming. And the guy's like, yeah, great. Show, you know, show up, whatever. And then when he actually gets there, uh, it turns out that this friend had like totally misrepresented the amount of power that he has in the industry. And he's basically just like a, an assistant who can't do anything. He's like, 
a PA and uh, he, the, the jazz musician is like, what the hell, man? I thought you said you could help me out here. And the guy's just like, hey, like, I didn't think you'd actually come. Like, everybody knows I'm full of shit. Sorry, whatever. See ya. Peace out. Wouldn't want to be ya. And it's like, just this gut punch of a moment of like how shitty people can be um, in a movie that is otherwise like pretty nice and this really like swooning romance that I thought uh, came a little out of left field, but was uh, memorable enough for me to mention here. So I don't, I don't think that it's the best moment in Sylvie's love, but it's a moment that I wanted to mention. Yeah. It's, it's a real shit moment. And I love Ron Funches, who is a comedian who plays that role. And it made me hate him for like a a good 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, I also have the porch conversation on here. We can probably cut that too. It's just a a sort of touching conversation between the two romantic leads. It comes pretty late in the movie. Uh, I don't want to give too much away Uh, in case people are going to check this out, but I I think maybe we can just go ahead and either put into uh, discussion or lock it onto the list. uh, The first kiss between the two characters. Yeah, talk about Um, this, please, because I'll I'll, I'll spend, I did not find time for Sylvie's love. I feel very bad to know you, you value it strongly. So sell me on this scene, please. It's to me. It's sort of is like the, an intersection between like uh, La La Land and If Beale Street Could Talk. And the first kiss scene especially reminded me of If Beale Street Could Talk. Just sort of like the way that the camera is out on uh, this sort of like I don't think the screen is rain soaked, but it might as well be because it's this really like just classically shot, beautiful, romantic like uh, um, street lamp lit uh, sort of New York street uh, and the. It's it's just Tessa Thompson and um, I don't have the actor's uh, name in front of me right now. I apologize, but they are. Um, it's just their dynamic sort of like slowly coming to a head after the first I don't know twenty thirty minutes of the movie, and it's this really nice moment that you know that she is uh, engaged to somebody else, and he they clearly have insane chemistry and really want to be with each other and it's when the dam breaks and they finally just give in to their passion and it's out on the the front porch and like her mom is waiting inside it's this really like sweet nice moment so um i I would say that if we put anything from sylvie's love on there that should be the moment so if this is your number one moment for your number one movie of the year then yes i 100 percent support this being on the list because i think that's the kind of support that should be here uh, Brad, HT, what do you guys think about this? I love the scene. I think it's more along the lines of The Notebook meets La La Land than If Beale Street Could Talk meets La La Land, but it's a, it is a very well shot, well acted, uh, lovely moment, and I'm, I'm not against it necessarily because, like I said in a previous episode of Slash Film Daily, uh, I love this movie right up until the end, and that includes this scene. Yeah, I'm. I think this this scene is great, and it's wonderful, um, really sweet moment. And I'm also more on the side of like than love for this movie. I think it it aims for Douglas Sirk, that sort of lavish melodrama of the '50s, and uh, it does fall a bit closer to Nicholas Sparks in the end. But this scene is uh, is really magical, so I think that it should be there. All right, I'm locking it in, uh, Ben. You want to do like one or two more uh, suggestions before we uh, hand the baton? Yes, I would say. Um... I would say, okay, so if we're going to do something from the trial of the Chicago, the Chicago 7, I know that everybody's talked about how much they love Michael Keaton in this movie, and actually Michael Keaton's first scene and Michael Keaton's second scene are both moments that are yes, listed I here. I a joke because <laughs> I, I literally wrote out two entries from Michael Keaton's two scenes. I think the only scenes <laughs> in the movie worth considering. <laughs> Um, but I think the judge's malpractice in that movie is something that uh, really spoke to me in terms of like the frustration that I felt in 2020, and I thought that... Um, 
who is it? Frank Langella that plays the judge in the film. Uh, he, you know, he's this character who is, um, you know, he's obviously playing like a, a historic guy, like a real person. Um, but the way that he imbues this character with this, this, uh, you know, like borderline dementia or like mental instability and like this, um, this sort of like fiery, uh, insistence that it's his way or the highway and it, just because he's the authority figure uh even though he's not actually like following the rule of law was so frustrating to watch and so perfect perfectly representative of just like being a human with a brain in 2020 and watching all of the insane shit that was happening around us and being like why can't reasonable people just step in and fucking do something about this and that's how i felt watching the trial of the chicago seven so i feel like that that idea, the, the judge's entire demeanor and behavior throughout the entirety of that trial uh, is the thing that we should maybe shine a light on from that movie, because I feel like it's the best aspect of that film. I think we should, at the very least, narrow it down to a single scene if we're going to have the conversation. Um, Actually, what, what, I think one of the things that is the maybe that uh, pinpoints just how silly and stupid that he is as a man and just how poorly he is doing his job is maybe the repeated assumption or acknowledgement that uh, Bobby Seale is being represented by the same lawyer at, right. who is representing the rest of the uh, the people who are on on trial as well. Because uh, throughout the um, many of the courtroom sequences, he keeps referring um, to uh, what is the the lawyer's actor's name? I'm, I'm forgetting from the BFG. Uh, Mark Rylance. Yeah, Mark Rylance's character as Bobby Seale's attorney. No matter how many times Bobby Seale stands up and says, he's not my lawyer, and Mark Rylance says, I'm not representing him, and it's just increasingly maddening, just in the same way it is dealing with so many people who are just uh, old, white, racist, authoritarian figures who refuse change and to understand reason. And so if, if there were anything to represent, I think it would be like those repeated sequences, but like like Ben said, it's, it's the judge's entire demeanor throughout the entire trial that is just so infuriating it sounds to me like we should probably cut the two Michael Keaton scenes just because they're joke entries um oh, but I, I love Michael Keaton in this movie so much he's like giving the best performance alive when he arrived on the scene for me even though I completely agree with everything Ben said I do think that um Frank Langella is like so infuriating in this film and I actually am pretty sold based on his argument but I, I don't want to give up Michael Keaton I, I would at least like narrow it down just like say Michael Keaton in Trial of Chicago 7 or at least just his first first scene because I think it's just embodies we put that Michael casualness Keaton, of his performance Michael Keaton in the Trial of Chicago 7 and the judge's malpractice will move into in discussion for now I think okay Okay, Jacob, the last thing that I want to say on this list uh, for this round is I, w- I kind of want to go to bat for the batshit insane ending of Wild, uh, Wild Mountain Time. I don't know if anybody else here has seen this film. Please tell me somebody else has. I haven't, but I read about the ending, which made me go, oh boy, and add to this list. <laughs> oh, I, man, I, I really... Either, and I but I read the ending because I was so curious. Everyone was talking about it. I just want to know, does it just end on that line and that's it? Uh, no, it goes on for a little bit more than that. So the, the reveal here is that, like, the whole thing is this really, you know, it's a fine, like, Irish romance between these two characters played by Jamie Dornan and uh, Emily Blunt. And it's it's a very basic story for the most part. And then at the very end of the movie, it's revealed that Jamie Dornan's character thinks that he's a honeybee. And I think it's literal. Like, the, the, they have a whole conversation about it. And everybody, I think Emily Blunt is the only character who really understands what he's talking about because she's kind of a little bit bonkers too, but it really like comes out of nowhere and makes you 
like like stop in your tracks and say, wait a second, what did I miss something in this? Like it really is one of the most confounding moments that I have uh, that I've experienced in an, uh, what is you know it, it, like we were talking about um, Serenity, like the the uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, Anne Hathaway movie, and like that movie seems like it's really building towards something, and then when the final reveal comes, you're like, whoa, that's way out of left field. I didn't expect that. This is not the type of movie that feels like it's building to that kind of reveal. So it seems even more out of nowhere. And uh, it was just one of the most, um, I guess, unique moments that I had watching a movie in 2020, just being like, wait, he thinks he's a honeybee? Where the fuck did this come from? So, uh, you know, I don't expect it to actually make this list, especially knowing that uh, nobody here has seen it except for me. But um, I, I had to, I mean, we couldn't record this podcast without mentioning the insane ending of Wild Mountain Town. So if we want to cut it, that's fine. Let's too. cut it, but I'm, gl- I'm glad we talked about it. All right. All right. On to somebody else. Brad, please run through this and uh, cut, nominate, just burn a lot of things down, please. All right. Um, I feel like that we probably need to burn through some of these Wonder Woman 1984 scenes because there's four of them on this list, and I'm sure that they're not all going to make it. Um, if I were to choose one wonder woman 1984 scene i think that it's probably diana taking flight in wonder woman 1984 simply because i feel like the flight under the fireworks is visually a nice scene but i think it's marred by the fact that the 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 body swap stuff is so weird with steve trevor uh in that movie so while it's very romantic uh, it just feels kind of odd to me knowing that it's not really Steve Trevor there. Uh, the Themyscira Olympics are a very—it's a very cool uh, action sequence, um, a fun way to start the movie, and it does set up something meaningful for, uh, for Diane as a character. But a top movie moment—I'm not entirely sure about that. And then the world renouncing their wishes in Wonder Woman 1984—it's um, something that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, and I don't really particularly like how it, how it's handled but i think one of the reasons i like diana takes flight in wonder woman 1984 so much is because it, it's just it's such a simple thing and it's her being being a superhero and uh doing something that she she hasn't done before and it, it calls back to richard donner's superman and he even looks you know exactly like scenes with christopher reeve uh flying through the air at, as superman and so if i were to pick one that would be it what do you guys think yeah i think uh diana taking flight and lassoing the lightning is what that yeah. we need more of I want to hear from HG. I know HG, uh, I think, ha- is, likes him more than the rest of us. Yeah, I actually was going to go to bat for the flight under the fireworks because that was the scene that uh, gave me sort of Richard Donner, first Superman uh, vibes to specifically the um, sequence in which um, S- Superman and uh, Lois Lane are flying together and there's, and she's having that, that sort of speech in her mind. And, and it felt so magical and luminescent in a way that, and had that sort of awe in a way that I felt like I really miss and I really like in a superhero movie, Um, and especially in like a Wonder Woman film. But I'm also open to Diana Takes Flight because I think it's a continuation of that, uh, in that like it sets up um, Diana and Steve's sort of good farewell tour. And um, her- And she also also doesn't need Steve to do that. Yes, but it's like like his, his parting gift to her. Um, and I, I do like, I do like that it's on her own. I do love her lasting the lightning. Um, but I do want to just like give a shout out to, uh, the fight under the fireworks. The world renounced their, their wishes is a scene that I was also like, 
I really love, but I know it doesn't work for everyone because it does require like a degree of suspense of disbelief. And but I do think that it is a movie to me. It's, it's a sequence to me that makes this movie, um, like elevates this movie a little bit in terms of just like what its theme is and that like that humanity uh, is not only worth saving, but that they are capable of saving themselves and that they can unite in that kind of uh, goodwill um, at the urging of Wonder Woman. So I can see why, people, why it doesn't work for people. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to it. And I, this is the scene from, that for me was like almost made me tear up a little bit. Um, but I am fine with Diana taking flight uh, being the one scene from Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, does anyone else like the, the flight under the fireworks scene? I just really love that scene. I liked it. Un- the only thing that keeps me from liking it fully is how clumsy it is when she's like oh it's the 4th of July and it's like oh is it because there's been no indication of that up until this one moment and it's it would be like all of Die Hard you never see anything referencing Christmas and at the very end John McClane is like Merry Christmas like what the fuck like there's no there's no acknowledgement that it's the 4th of July until that one second and that really hurts that scene for me it's just because like ah that's like all they had to do is have a a scene before that where there's someone's like happy fourth of july yeah exactly like (laughs) what are you doing for the fourth of july diane something like anything anything would have helped that that but like the movie is so slapdash that no one like they had they had years to edit this movie and there was not a single moment where someone was like hey patty jenkins how come no one mentioned it's the fourth of july up until this one second so that's the only thing that keeps me from enjoying that moment. But I do love the way it looks. So how so. about we cut the world renowned to their wishes in, in the Themyscira Olympics, and we put Diana Takes Flight into our top 50, and we put the um, f- flight under the fireworks in, in discussion. Okay. Does that work for everybody? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Brad, kill some more things. And um, kill some, go for some easy targets. Let's, let's, let's cut this thing down. Uh, some easy targets. Okay. Um... Let's cut uh, the gelatinous cube scene and onward. Um, I have a feeling that Jacob added this because he's a super nerd, and this is very clearly a Dungeons and Dragons reference. Yeah, and if, if Onward had more direct D and D sequences, it'd be a better movie. But yeah, this one can cut. Oh, it, it was, I liked it a lot. I wish the movie had more of it, but it's gone. Yeah, hilarious scene, but yeah, definitely not 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 a top. Um, and then let's uh, let's actually. Oh gosh, what else is is easy to cut here? Um, I'm going to cut. Where's it? I'm, I'm. I lost my. Never mind. Uh, I'm gonna go to Boy State because we. That's another one that we have uh, a beefy amount of entries. We have four here, um, and I feel like there's one moment that is clearly representative of the entire film and uh, everything that it um, represents as to, as why it's good and its portrayal of the broken system of uh, politics in America. And I think that it is um, Robert's speech and Stephen's speech uh, as we hear them in, uh, in Boy State as uh, each of these uh, teen uh, potential future politicians give speeches representing their side in this uh, faux government election process that takes place down in Texas. And you hear one that is much more uh, impassioned and full of integrity and authenticity uh, than the other. And it becomes clear, you know, 
what one stands for and the other one doesn't have much to uh, to stand on. And I think that it is um, a, a sequence of speeches that really is just representative of, like you know, like I said, just this uh, really frustrating issue that we have in our system of government and how it's been passed on to the next generation, creating this vicious cycle. Um, but it does give us some sense of hope that there is a little bit more um, integrity and dignity among the next generation that's coming up that will hopefully keep us from being, uh, you know, a victim to our own follies. What about the scene, though, where Robert reveals that in public he's all about anti-abortion, but in private he says, I actually am pro-choice, but I can't say that in public. And he just nakedly reveals that he's a two-timing uh, political machine. I, I, I think that that one and is the only other one on, on, of the four that I would think is considerable like a representation of of the larger points of the the movie. I yeah, I do agree and I think that for me I while I do agree that that is definitely like a a big moment in that movie for me it's also something that is like well yeah no shit because I feel like people have been doing that for years and I think maybe it's just because of how devoid of inspiration and hope uh, and goodness the last 4 years have been that I think the 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 other scene that I talked about is like that's really what I don't know instilled a sense of inspiration in me. Seeing you know this the you know absolute terrible speech from this person who absolutely has you know no moral backbone to this person who is doing everything he can to not only be true to himself but also you know faithfully represent his would be constituents. And the other two scenes you have mentioned: a plan to impeach Renee fails, where a racist campaign to uh, remove Renee uh, from his speaker role fails spectacularly when people actually have to vote on it. And it's very funny. And Renee's a, he, Ray's, Renee's a hero, damn it. Yeah. And finally, uh, the, the line, he's a fantastic politician, and that's not a compliment, where the film's quote-unquote villain is called out by Renee in the final moments. Uh, but Ben, do you think that Robert's speech and then Stephen's speech, that one sequence is maybe the boy's state scene to keep? I think it is, yes, for all the reasons that you guys have said. All right, uh, HG and Chris, you guys have not seen Boise, right? I know Chris does not plan to see it. Yeah, based I... on everything you just said, I will never watch this movie. <laughs> it, was just, it was giving me hives just listening to it. So I didn't get the chance to uh, squeeze it in before this podcast, so I have nothing to add to it. All right. Well, I, I think that unless HG and Chris have any obliga- like a reason to say no, uh, it belongs in the top 50. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> uh, Brad, do you have any other things you want to knock out real quick before we move on? Uh, so I guess one thing that I'll, I'll bring up just because I, I, I don't know necessarily how this is going to go, and it's a scene that I do kind of want to go to bat for, but I don't know if anyone actually got a chance to watch this movie yet, but um, it's a, a surprising death in critical thinking. Did anybody get a chance to watch this movie? I got a screener this morning, Brad, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Ooh. I don't think I've ever even heard of this. I don't know. So this was a movie that played, uh, uh, it was supposed to play anyway, at South by Southwest, and I, I got a screener of it because I was supposed to cover South by Southwest, so I watched it and reviewed it back in March. Um, it is a uh, movie directed by John Leguizamo. He also stars in it as a teacher who is in charge of a, uh, a chess club, um, and it's uh, very easy to describe this movie as being akin to something like uh, Dangerous Minds or something like that, but I feel like the way it approaches similar subject matter is done with so much more eloquently and authentically and with um i think some perspective of real experience that john leguizamo has had uh as you know a kid who kind of grew up in some rougher spots when he was younger and this scene in question is actually what i like is uh it kind of turns what you would expect from this movie on on a dime 
um, because it starts off by, uh, by seeing this kid who he gets detention and because the school system really isn't uh, all that prepared to deal with kids as far as like punishing them, sometimes when kids get detention, it means relegating them to uh, this chess club class that John Leguizamo's teacher takes care of. And so this kid is in there, he's in trouble. Um, but he takes uh, a, a secret interest, essentially, in, in chess in this class, and, and he takes a chessboard away from the class, um, unbeknownst to everybody else. And we follow him as he goes home, presumably excited to take interest in it, and you think that this is going to be the character that you follow who is inspired by chess and turns his life around and doesn't create trouble anymore. Uh, but then he gets into a very minor altercation by bumping into the wrong person on the street, um, and he ends up being shot point blank in the head. Um, and it is a jolting moment. And it's one that like just completely you know, upends what I was expecting from this movie. Uh, and even though it does touch upon the, some of the similar things that you would have expected from this kind of character, it was something that really, I think, just made it... It, it makes the, it hit that much harder of how dangerous some of these areas are. And how like the story, the inspirational story that you think you're going to get isn't always going to happen because there are th incidents that happen like this all the time in, you know, rougher parts of Miami or Detroit or Chicago, what what have you. Um, and these are things that happen all the time. And it was it's just a very uh, jarring scene that I, I felt really made this movie stand out from other movies of its ilk. Uh, Brad, you've, you've spoken a lot about this movie uh, offline. Uh, I think you're this movie's, I think, sole passionate defender, and that's fine because I think we're all going to get moments for that we're sole passionate defenders for. Uh, is this movie, in this moment, do you strongly believe it's like top, top tier for you? There's a lot of good stuff stuff this year, and I'm sure there's a lot of other things I do love in this, but this uh, this one has stuck with me this this entire year, and I was really surprised by um, how, how much it did. And I think I think that I, yeah, I think I would like to, to fight for it to be uh, on, on our top 50, especially because it has gone so, so much under the radar and I think deserves much more attention than it, it's gotten. Yeah, I, I, you have my blessing. I'm cool if it's on the top 50. Same. Yeah. I, I, have, I have no objections. Okay. All right, uh, Chris, run through this list. Kill a bunch of stuff. Maybe pick a few uh, things you want to keep. Okay, so there are three things from the five bloods on here. I would only argue for one of them. Honestly, I feel like the best way to start cutting stuff down is to eliminating multiple things from multiple movies, but that's me. Yeah, but I'm going to go, I'm going to start with this and just say that of these three scenes where there's one, it's where all the characters are, are dancing in a club, which is, a, looks great. One is uh, the scene involving a, a landmine, which is very tense. And one is comes near the end where uh, the main character, not the main character, but one of the characters played by Delroy Lindo gives this really just, just like haunting monologue where he's delivering it directly into the camera. Uh, I would pick that one of the three just because it's just like a, a powerhouse moment. Um, I, I don't like to be like a, a award season pundit because I, I really don't care that much. But this is one of those things where it's like if he doesn't, if Delroy Lindo doesn't win like uh, the best actor per Oscar for this, I'm going to be very confused because one, he's he's overdue for it. He's been a great actor for so long. And two, his his performance in this movie in particular is, is some of like the best acting I've ever seen and particularly in this this moment where he's just delivering this this monologue direct it's like looking right into the camera with this just just like raw emotion that just like really took my breath away so I would I would pick that if I had to pick one of those three scenes I, I think this is the scene to put on this list I agree yeah agree all right 
uh, other two, should we cut them or should we put them in discussion? What do you guys think? I say cut them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, get rid of them. We gotta get this shit on the road. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, kill more stuff. Come on. We, we, we took out two and one. Three off this list. All right, let's do it. Let's keep going. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, oh, man. <laughs> shit. Uh, I wasn't prepared for more. I'm How about sorry. Mank? So, want to talk about Mank? Yeah, let's talk about Mank. Let's see. What's under the Mank section here on in my we ledger? We have five Mank scenes. Let's, oh, let's we, kill, don't, let's we don't need five Mank scenes. No, we don't need that. <laughs> um, I would nominate to keep the drunken party crashing uh, Citizen Kane yeah. pitch. Yeah, the, that, that scene is great. It, it's the way it's shot, the way Gary Oldman plays it. Uh, the other scenes are walking through the Hearst Castle. Louis B. Mayer does the big walk and talk scene. William Randolph Hearst holds court in Mank. I'm not even sure what that is referring to. That's the big scene. Uh, the first time we were at William Hearst Randolph Hearst parties, and everybody's okay. talking politics. And it's we can cut it. I'll cut it immediately. It's my scene. I think that it's, it's such an evocative step into this alien world. I found it yeah. incredible. But I'm also going to cut it. Yeah, I, I know some people are very cold on Mank. I, I I really liked Mank. I know it's not for everyone. Um, uh, but if we had to pick one, I would say, yeah, that the drunken party should be on there and then cut everything else. Oh man. Uh, I also I wanted to mention meeting William Wanda first and Marion Davies this is where Mank with hungover stumbles onto the film set and meets them both for the first time. I'd love seeing the 19, you know, thirties film set at work and all the hustle and bustle. We can cut that too. Uh, also I'll cut the Louis B. Mayer walk and talk cause he's such a piece of garbage. I, I, I'd love that scene where I meet him. However, I think walking to the Hearst Castle grounds, uh, with, uh, Mank and Marion Davies is the scene in Mank. Yeah, I'm really torn between those two. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to give up the Hearst Castle grounds thing because, like, the what are the like, giraffes in the background? Yeah. It's just like so beautiful, and and uh, that's where like the black and white photography really made the most sense to me was that moment where everything else is stripped away. It's just these two characters having this really pleasant back and forth conversation um, in this world that neither one of them should really be in, but they're they both find themselves there. Um, but then, like, the dialogue in the in the uh, Drunken party is so great too. So I, I don't know where to go on this. Guys, how about we put both Mank scenes on the list? Oh man, I feel really weird having multiple <laughs> scenes from one movie on a list. I don't know. I Does know, anyone I else know. feel that way? Or am I? I, 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 I do too. I do too, Chris. Um, yeah, I, I think I it takes. I think it takes a lot to have a yeah movie with more than one scene on the list. Brad, what's like, your I feel take like on it has to be like the best goddamn movie all of us had seen for the year, and that's definitely not Mank. So, uh, Brad, what do you think of the two Mank scenes? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't watched Mank yet. I, mean, I was actually intending to watch it tonight as I wrap up the last few movies I feel like I need to watch before I finish my top ten for later this week, so I cannot chime in one way or the other. All right. I, I So Ben and I think Hurts Castle Grounds, HG and Chris think Drunken Party Crashing. Let's put them both in discussion. At least they're off the main list. I do want to um, say I like the scene walking through the Hearst Castle grounds, but I don't think it's like top 50 material because although I do like it, it's like a very oh, – no, but now I'm kind of going against myself because I think that the Drunken Party scene is like – it's a very big scene and again, it's and it's going to get the most attention and I think Amanda Seyfried is so good in the uh, Hearst Castle scene. But uh, if, if I'm going to think about one moment that defines the movie for me is the Drunken Party. All right, I put them both into um, discussion for now. Chris, let's, let's, let's keep going. That's a good one. All right. There are like six different scenes from Palm Springs on here. Can we please just cut all of them? I don't think we need any more <laughs> Palm Springs on this list. We got my scene. I'm happy with that. I, again, I yeah. think Palm Springs is a really charming movie, but I remain very confused as, as to why <laughs> people keep putting I'll, it on I'll the best of the year. Them. 
All right. For, for the record, those of you, those of you home, these scenes are Sarah becomes a science expert, the dinosaur hallucination, being a good person means nothing when they try Groundhog Day the way out of it and they fail. There's a bomb in the wedding cake and other adventures, the big montage of them uh, having fun with the time loop, and Niles and Sarah's first, first in quotations, meeting. Uh, I love Palm Springs, my number one movie of the year. I got my scene on the list. I'm happy. Brad, I feel like you're the only person here who may... Uh, Brad or Ben, do you, you have any pushback on this? No, I think that the scene we picked is really the most important one out of Palm Springs, and while there are a lot of great... Uh, other moments in Palm Springs. I think for any of these other ones to make it onto a list of the top 15 movie moments of the entire year um, wouldn't quite make much sense. Agreed. All right. Cut. That felt good. That's a big chunk out of the list. Uh, there's there, there's still two more things from Possessor on here, but I thought we had already cut them, or do we not talk about cutting uh, we them? Didn't talk about, we, 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 I put the uh, kitchen murders up to in discussion, but we, have not, we haven't even talked about... Um, the wearing a new face montage in Possessor, or Andrea Riseborough does not feel bad about the butterfly in Possessor, final moments. I would say cut both of them because we already have Possessor stuff, and, uh, you know, and this, this is my favorite movie of the year, but I'm fine with cutting yeah. both I will of say those. that um, if I had to choose a Possessor moment, it would be the wearing a new face montage, which is so unsettling to make the poster. But as yeah. Chris being the champion of this movie, uh, I think he has final say on that scene, so I'm cutting them both. Okay. Is it still me? Am I still going? Yeah, if you have anything else you want, you want to talk about, let's do it. Oh, man. Let's see. Talk about Tesla, Chris. Okay. Let's see. All right. So there are one. There are three different scenes from Tesla on here. Uh, one is the karaoke scene, which is like anytime I try and sell people on this movie, that's the scene I tell them about because uh, <laughs> I feel like the marketing for this movie did it no favors. It was sold basically as like, here's a biopic. And when I say like, you know, there's a scene where Tesla does karaoke. People are like, what? I didn't, I got to see this. So I would say of the three scenes, there's that scene. There's a scene where Thomas Edison and Tesla uh, smear ice cream on each other's faces, which is pretty funny. And then there's a scene where Thomas Edison admits he was wrong. Uh, I would say if we're keeping any Tesla scene, it should be the karaoke scene just because it's so unexpected. It's so at the, when you're watching a biopic of someone who lived in the era that Tesla did, you don't expect to have a scene where uh, Tesla starts singing karaoke. So singing I would, Tears for Fears song, even. <laughs> yes, exactly. A song not from that era. Yeah. So I, I would definitely, I would say lose the other two scenes, keep the karaoke scene. Yeah. I would either. definitely Put, cut uh, Thomas Edison admits he's wrong, but I, wanna, good, but I, agree. I kind of like the ice cream fight scene because it's one of the scenes where it plays out differently in like several ways. And that's one of the few scenes in the movie where it's uh, it kind of, points to the fact that everything is very unreliable and that there are different ways of playing of these things playing out one with a more traditional way one way that's like a bit more of like a modern spin and whimsical spin and i think the ice cream fight is really fun um but i'm fine with the karaoke scene being the only scene from tesla yeah, I think Thomas Edison admits he was wrong is great because it's a, it's a scene that's completely fabricated. The narrator comes in and says, Thomas Edison never admitted he was wrong. Then Thomas Edison sits down at the bar and starts playing with his iPhone, which is a really, really funny moment. Uh, but yeah, I think that um, the karaoke scene is, is the scene from Tesla. In fact, I think the karaoke scene is top 50 and should be locked in right now. Sure. Sure. Yes. All right. Uh, ice cream fight into um, in discussion, maybe, HD? No, I can delete it. All right. Chris, do you have any others you want to talk about at this moment, or should we move on to HD? Uh, I'll just do one more to cut, um, uh, and it's a movie I really like. I actually just rewatched it last night, and it's underwater. Uh, there's there's actually two scenes from the air on there. One is one character's sudden death, which is um, he literally implodes due to pressure. It's so and good. Then, it happens so early one, in the movie. Yes, and then one is 
uh, at the very end, there's this giant Cthulhu-like monster. And I love both those scenes, and they're both great. But I don't think they belong on a, on a best of the year list. Maybe if you were doing like best horror scenes of the year, but as like best movies of the year, best scenes, I would say they, they don't belong. Even though I, I really like Underwater. And if you haven't watched it, listeners, it's now streaming on HBO Max. I really recommend it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's so we, worth it. Let's cut Rodrigo's death. I put it on there because it's so good. It happens so much sooner in the movie than you expect anybody to die suddenly in that way. It's excellent. However... Can we keep giant monster up here as a Cthulhu monster in the discussion? Because I, I I think that one is really really good. I mean yeah sure I'm not gonna yeah. okay yeah that's fine all right HT um, I would like you to run through this list and kill a bunch of things and nominate a bunch of things. All right all right all right let's see um I'm gonna nominate one <laughs> not doing my job but I want to nominate first uh, the ending of another round and this is a movie that I really liked um, but when this ending came about I loved because it comes about so unexpectedly but it also uh, emphasizes the sort of melancholy note of the of the film while basically playing it out in like this Jally, this um, ballet jazz sequence where Mads Mikkelsen dances at the end with like a in like in in a scene that's in the trailer but in context of the film has so many more layers to it, and it reminds me of um, the scene from uh, Wild Rose where it was a movie that I really liked, um, but then at the end when we have the final song, I just fell in love with it and I started crying and that final sequence of um, another round gave me that same feeling it kind of solidified for me why this movie uh, was really special and was really something else other than just a sort of um, melancholy dramedy about middle age and everything but it had a a more of a a of a more layer to it so um, I know that Ben watched another round I think um, and I think that he might support me I don't know (laughs) I do. I 100% support you. And I think the the most fascinating thing about to me about the ending of another round is it's sort of like uh, is this open ended thing where you you can walk away from the movie with multiple interpretations based on how you sort of think that everything has gone and, and what you think about the Mads Mikkelsen character and what you think about what kind of arc he has uh, he has I guess achieved over the course of the movie because the very very end after the dancing is him leaping into the water and. It's kind of, and it just freeze frames before he falls. And it's kind of, um, I don't know, you, you can look at it as a hopeful ending or as like, oh God, he's given back up and, and you know, jumped right back into this old life that, that he's had. Um, so I think that there's a lot, uh, it's a movie that I really want to watch again after that sort of euphoric ending to try to see if I can really decide, you know, how exactly I come down on it. But the fact that, it is so well executed and it, it sort of has this ambiguity to it, I think means that it should definitely go on this list. But I don't know if anybody else here has seen this movie yet. All right. It sounds to me like another round is on this list and any list without Mads Mikkelsen is a list that's lesser than other lists. So I think this all <laughs> works out. Uh, HT, let, let, let's go with some, some more stuff here. I know you have some more stuff to elevate into kill. Okay. So for me, I, I'm one of the few... <laughs> who didn't really love Eurovision Song Contest, but I do think there is one moment that really deserves to be on the list, and I want to cut the other moment that we have. So we have our first moment is The Elves Went Too Far in Eurovision Song Contest and Husevik in Eurovision Song Contest. I think The Elves Went Too Far should be on the list. It's just 
a hilarious moment. Rachel McAdams totally sells it. And the the, the thing that you sh- that we learned from this movie is that if you cast Rachel McAdams in any comedy, she's perfect and will totally elevate any line that you give her. And I think this is um the scene that should be because this is the one even I quote. And I wasn't a huge fan of this movie. So Elves went too far on the list. Cut Husevic. I'm so glad you picked that one because I was worried you were going to pick the one that seems like maybe it's more important. But this bit is so good. It is. It has the same energy as, oh, no, he died from Game Night. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, and it's just, it is hilarious. I laughed so hard at this joke. Yeah, I agree. I, I put Husevic on there. And it's funny that you mentioned Wild Rose earlier, HC, because the Husevic number at the very end was very reminiscent of that final song from Wild Rose to me. Um, but I, yeah, I think if we're going to put something from, from Eurovision on there, that's such a great joke uh, that we, we just have to do it. All right. So it sounds to me like the Ales Went Too Far is on our list and Husevic is cut entirely. All right. All right, HC, oh, what else? Okay. I am going to nominate and cut a scene from emma i have two scenes on here and i know that the only other person on the scene who on this podcast who's seen emma is not a big fan of it but i think that he will be behind me on this scene that i'm proposing which is a drafty proposal uh which is the like one of the final scenes in the movie in which emma and knightley are um like Knightley's proposing to Emma um in her house but bill Nye, who plays emma's father is um battling a draft it's like a recurring beat throughout this movie where he is paranoid that there's a draft in the house and so he as they're like in this intimate moment it keeps being undercut by bill nye walking around and ordering servants to get more like um things to block out the drafts and soon they're just surrounded by all these um like dividers and that he's like are you is it all right or can you guys feel anything and they're like we're fine and they're just they're totally separate by him and they have this wonderful um really sweet kiss while he's like I think I still feel the draft and it's a wonderful moment and Bill Nye is hilarious in this and it's I think really embodies the movie's um capturing of Jane Austen's really wry satirical form of writing a lot of adaptations tend to lean more into the swooning romance of her novels when they kind of overlook the fact that she's a really really funny really satirical writer and I think this scene um manages to capture that so and the scene that I want to cut is Emma gets a nosebleed which kind of is similar in that it undercuts a moment of real charged romance and tension um excuse me with the comedic moment where she suddenly gets a nosebleed uh one during their like confession and then it it devolves into this scene of screaming and like and it's really funny but um i think we can cut that one and keep the drafty proposal what do you think brad uh so if we were yeah I, i at the very least i think we should move a drafty proposal to discussion i'm not necessarily sold that it needs to be on the top 50 because we still have what 86 more moments that are on this list that are up for debate and i'm not sure that it will make the make the top 50 but out of the two i think that's the one that should be uh considered more thoroughly okay i'm fine with putting it in discussion all right moving in there right now what else hd all right so (laughs) we have two scenes from first cow but one can't really be considered a scene it's every scene with the first cow and first cow (laughs) <laughs> um, but I also agree with it. It's kind of one that was put up in jest. Uh, but I also, I love the cow in First Cow. Um, and the other scene that we have is selling oily cakes in First Cow, which is when the uh, the two main characters, um, whose name I'm, I'm forgetting and I'm really sorry about it because it's a really wonderful movie. Um, so Cookie and King Lou. Cookie is the one who is a baker. And with King Lou's help, King Lou is the uh, sort of con man of the group and they 
they of uh, the pair and they kind of team up to become this sort of baking duo in in like the pioneer um west and uh they basically start stealing milk from the first cow that is taken to the settlement and um start selling these oily cakes that cookie has uh knows how to make because uh, he's a a chef and um they're the scene where they're selling it all these grimy grizzled uh settlement men are just so overjoyed to see something like from home essentially uh in this mud covered town and they bite into it and they're like oh it reminds me of home and uh it's uh it's a one it's it kind of it's a really sweet moment in a in a movie that's a really tender almost buddy like relationship uh frontiersman movie and uh i think is a one that um kind of it really it stuck out to me when i thought about first cow there are so many moments that are kind of tender and in between but this is the scene that i think uh is kind of the beginning of of their uh strange and uh sweet partnership um has anyone seen first i think chris is the only one who's seen first cow ben has seen it yeah i saw it and really enjoyed that uh oily cake moment as well okay so why don't we nominate oily cakes for the moment uh the lists (sighs) is that it um, this is the point. What's where, happening? This is the point where I say I, I I haven't seen First Cow because I've tried every other Kelly Reichert movie and find them all unbearable. <gasps> wow. What? So you know, I'm not a huge fan of hers, but I really <laughs> love this movie. So you might you might think differently on this yeah, one. So my, my initial reaction is oh, Kelly Reichert, but also if if everybody else says okay, then I'm not going to fight it. I think okay. it's a good moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, what do you think? I haven't seen First Cow yet. All right. Let's put it up there. All it's right. First Cow. First Cow. First Cow is well-liked enough by all of you and by everybody else in film Twitter. I'm just going to put it up there. All, all right. right. What's next? We have, we have four moments from Freaky. I think that we should cut at three of them and put maybe one up in discussion. I like Freaky a lot. It's not one of my top films, but I know that Chris really loved it. It's one of his top films of the year, and I'm sure he'd be happy if we had one, se- one scene from Freaky in there. Um, I'm going to nominate The Heart to Heart and Almost Kiss because it's really funny moment and one that um it's just uh it comes it's like a it comes like in between all this bloodshed and comedy and it's kind of one of the parts that embodies like this genre switching of this movie about uh, uh, a serial killer and a teenage girl who body swap and it takes place between the the girl played by Catherine Newton and her crush, uh, but she is in Vince Vaughn's body, and it could play be played like strictly for for laughs, and it does play like that because of the inherent physical comedy of Vince Vaughn flirting and like blushing over this teenage boy. But it's really sweet, and I I really liked how they played it straight, even though it's like it's such a comedic moment. But um, that's the one that I nominate, and I. Uh, to suggest cutting the surprise epilogue, the dressing room scene, and Alan Ruck gets cut in half in Freaky. What is everyone? I just want to say that Alan Ruck getting cut in half is an example of this of this movie's uh, commitment to practical gore effects, of which there are so many, and they're really good. But yes, it's not the scene from here. And the surprise epilogue, it's also very good. And the film seems to end; it has one last act. That's excellent. Uh, but yeah, I think it's either the heart to heart and almost kiss as HD uh, submitted, or the dressing room scene where. Uh, Vince Vaughn, uh, Kath Newton's character in Vince Vaughn's body, has a has a conversation with her mom uh, through through a uh, dressing room door at, uh, at, at a at a store, 
and have this genuinely moving conversation. Uh, and it's really funny and sweet. And he's both, it's funny, this, this, this body swap horror movie, we're talking about the scenes that are actually really emotional and moving. Uh, but I can get behind the heart and heart and almost kiss as a big fan of Freaky. Uh, Chris, this is in your top 10 of the year. Which scene do you think is better? You know, I put the dressing room scene on here. I mean, I love the movie overall. The dressing room scene really meant a lot to me just because it's, it's, I don't know, it's all about... Basically, Catherine Newton's character, her her whole family is sort of like in limbo because they're they're not over the death of Catherine Newton's father had died like a year ago, and they're they're all still not over it. And the mom is like, uh, it's it's hinted that she's become like an alcoholic and she never does anything anymore. And this scene, basically, Vince Vaughn's character, uh, you know, Catherine Newton as Vince Vaughn, ends up in the dressing room of this place where Catherine Newton's mom works, and they just have this really really emotional moment where they just talk about the dead father and you don't really expect to see that in like modern day horror movies, like modern day horror comedies like this. And the reason I just love freaky so much is that for as silly as it is, as over the top as it is, it's also like weirdly sincere. And at the same time, the, the, the heart to heart scene, the kiss scene is also really sincere. Like they could have easily played that for laughs. Like, ah, it's Vince Vaughn, you know, kissing some guy, but they, they play it really sincerely. So if we have to pick one of the two and HT dominates the other one, I'll, I'll I'll end this by saying, yes, I support that as well. So let's go with that. I think we should put the heart to heart into locked in top 50 in dressing room and in discussion. That's my, that's my two cents. I, I really, I think it's the heart to heart for sure. And I just want to say one thing about the dressing room scene. Well, while I like how it plays out, I, don't like the performance by the actress who plays her mom, um, Katie Finneran. I don't, I don't know. I think it's like a little bit too pantomime or something. But that's the one thing that I have against that scene where I just don't love her performance. But um, yes, it's everything that Chris said basically. Uh, I know Ben's not a fan though. Ben, are you opposed to Freaky getting a moment in the top fifty? Uh, no, of course not. Uh, ben, you didn't like Freaky? I missed I mean, this. No, I thought it was okay. I just wasn't. Uh, I wasn't as nearly as as uh, high on it as you were. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was like, oh yeah, that that was nice. That was that was fine. Um, <laughs> but I, I just wasn't like crazy about it. Uh, Brad, did you see Freaky? I'm actually watching this tonight, so I will have more to say. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm actually watching this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching movies this whole time, but no, I'm watching this tonight. And I will also have more to say on it uh, if we're still talking about this in part two. Uh, well, I, I put the heart to heart on our top 50. I think it has enough support and dressing room scene in our support. But if Brad comes back as a strong opinion on it being in top 50, <laughs> we will, maybe we'll revisit this. Uh, HG, any others you want to you run through over here? Yes. Where was I? Hold on. Sorry. Um, we have one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, four moments from his house. A movie I really, really liked. Um, I'm down to cut to, uh, hmm. no, never mind. I don't want to get, no, I don't know anymore. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll help you out here, HG. The witch rises from the floor in his house. I put this here. This is the one cuttable scene for me. The one I, I think I guess is an easy cut. Because it's a really cool monster, and it's Javier Botet, who's like the monster right now. He plays all the cool practical monsters in all the horror movies. But in a movie that is otherwise so full of like philosophically terrifying scenes, uh, the more visceral scare here, I think, is mo- more cuttable. Yeah, agreed. I like that. I think we can also cut the dinnertime hallucination slash besieged by ghosts in his house. I really like the fireside encounter slash loss at sea in his house. I think that the imagery of that scene is so striking. And then the final scenes of his house, um, which is the moment that it really sort of clicked 
for me what this movie was saying about the the sort of cultural trauma and yeah. refugee trauma. So the ghosts those... still being with you, even though they're no longer, they're, they're, they're always going to haunt you. It's not, but maybe they just tone down a little bit exactly. in the background. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Your ghost will always follow you, and I love that message. So I'm down to cut dinnertime hallucinations slash besieged by ghosts and put fireside encounter and final scenes into discussion. Uh, Chris, you also liked this movie. What do you think? Man, I don't know because I kind of would have gone with the uh, the dinner scenes because I love the way that camera pulls back and reveals everything. Yeah, me but, too. I do like that scene. Uh, how about we put all three uh, in discussion for now? And we, we we agree that one of these will make the list. Yeah. Sure. All right. All right, HD. You want to knock on any more? And let's see, let's see, let's see. Movies that I watched that I am looking into. Ooh. Oh, I think um, oh, Minari has two great scenes. One that I think that really deserves to be on the one on one, and one that I can be convinced to put on. And I think Farm Fire deserves to be on the top 50 moments. I think David gets some special Mountain Dew. It's really good. I don't know if I'd put it in the top 50. I, we can put that in discussion. But Farm Fire, I think, for sure deserves to be in it. It's kind of, it's that moment, sort of that catharsis. Not really. It's like, a, it's the climax of the film. And it's seeing all of the work of that um, that Stephen Yeun's character has put into trying to achieve the American dream literally go up in flames, but it's something that um, they wrestle with, like what is important, and it's kind of comes about through a series of accidents from the grandmother who had a stroke, and every scene with the grandmother after she has a stroke really breaks my heart, and I like <laughs> difficult to talk about to the point where I'm to the point that it's difficult to talk about, but I think that that scene is really really special, um, and both like in a um, like narrative point of view but also from an emotional point of view so i nominate farm fire for top 50 moments and um i could be convinced for the mountain dew scene i think it's a fun scene but not really top 50 what does everyone think i think farm fire should be top 50 uh mountain dew should be in discussion for now all right yeah i agree brad chris yeah i think i i agree all right i'm going down the list Doctor scene and never really. I keep nominating movies. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll cut one. But <laughs> the doctor scene and never really, sometimes, always, I burst into tears during that scene. And um, oh, God, the way it plays out, the it's basically the title drop of the of the movie where um, the lead actress, the main character, who I can't remember her name, and I feel really bad about it. <laughs> her, I think the actress is Sydney Flanagan, and the character is Autumn. Yes. Autumn, played by Sydney, Sydney Flanagan, is going through a questionnaire at the Planned Parenthood where she's attempting to get the abortion. And um, this questionnaire is uh, basically running through situations where she might have been co- coerced into sex or forced into sex. And um, she has to answer with either never, rarely, sometimes, always. And as the, se- the questions get more serious and um, more intense, uh, she starts to stumble over them and like refuse to answer some. And it becomes very clear that she went through some sort of unnamed trauma. Um, maybe we don't know who at the hands of, um, or whether or what, how the extent of, that it was. But it becomes it's ugh, Sydney Flanagan's performance in this scene is just like it's just so fantastic, and uh, it really broke my heart. Her face as it changed, and uh, really struggled to keep those tears in um, throughout the sequence. And um, everything that's unsaid is so much more powerful. Um, and in this whole scene and it's just it's a really really fantastic moment that yeah made me cry so it deserves to be on the top 50 all right anybody else have any strong feelings on this one 
It's so powerful. So powerful. I don't know if you guys, if anybody else has seen this movie, but it's, uh, it's like the moment of the film, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. I- I'm okay with it being top 50 uh, if Brad and Chris are. Do it. What scene? I'm sorry. The questionnaire <laughs> scene. And never In really, what? sometimes always. I, have no, I haven't seen this movie, so no, I have no input. So yes. <laughs> okay. Um, the Painter and the Thief, we have three moments. You, you know what? I, can I say we ha- currently have 25 moments locked in, so maybe we should... Cut more? Could, oh, I, I will cut more. Well, either that or, or stop here and then go to part two. Yeah, we, we discussed doing a, uh, for those of you at home... We, we, we are going to break this podcast into uh, two episodes. I think this actually is a pretty good stopping point uh, with 25 movies locked in. We have, yeah, that's, half our list is locked in for sure. We have 22 moments in discussion. A lot more have been cut than a, a list of um, 71 moments still undiscussed. <laughs> uh, Jacob, do you want to let HT finish the round but only cutting so we can have like a clean a clean break uh, when we come back next time so she doesn't have to like resume <laughs> midway through the pack. I think that's fair. I think that Pain and the Thief is one that I'd rather us save for a time when, it's, when we're going to put things on the list. Yeah, I want to save Pain and the Thief for a later discussion. Um, Cutting, cutting, cutting. Um, You guys might hate me. I think we can cut all three of the soul moments in here. I think the moment that we already nominated for the, the list is the real defining moment for me. And while these the moments are all really... four moments here. Oh, four moments. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, all four moments of Soul. Um, so the first moment is the introduction of the lost souls in Soul. Uh, the second is Joe falls from the great beyond into the great before. Uh, next is the barbershop scene. And then the last is Joe and 22 leap to earth in Soul. And I think the introduction of the lost souls is really interesting conceptually and, and visually. Um, and it kind of like all leads into the climax. But I also have... A feeling about how the climax doesn't really pertain to the larger themes of the movie so i'm done with cutting that joe falls from the great beyond into the great before really striking imagery you know actually i'd be down with putting that into discussion yeah that's, that's, that's a, of these remaining ones it's it goes from being this uh a matter of life and death reference with the escalator into heaven and then he falls in this black and white two-dimensional realm and that Trent Reznor, like his raw score, starts like burning through your speakers, and it's, it's such like a it's such an incredible singular moment that's unlike anything Pixar has ever done. So we can cut Lost Souls, but I like the move to fall into the great beyond um, into in discussion. And yeah. I well, I would argue too, like I think the, so. The barbershop scene by itself is such a great scene, um, not only just because of how it's culturally representative of you know of just like um, this this sect of, of black culture that isn't you know, hasn't been represented in. Uh, so in a movie like this before, a, you know, a Disney Pixar movie. But I, I think that the what what we get from that scene ultimately also comes in the the two other like big scenes that we talked about because it's very much a scene where Joe realizes that there's more happening around him than just his own obsession. You know, him learning about you know uh, his the backstory of his, the person who cuts his hair and and uh, it starts to change his perspective on life and how he's been living it. Yeah. I agree. I think that we already get a lot of those ideas and themes come to fruition in the scene that we already have on the best list moment. But I do like the barbershop scene. Yeah. I think barbershop scene is really good. I put it on this list. However, I think HG is right. I think that the larger lessons of that scene are, are played through powerfully in the moment already on the list. So I think we can cut that and Joe and 22 leap to earth. And 
that we have one soul scene on the list, one in discussion in case you have another gap, and we feel good about having soul represented on this list. All right. We have four scenes from Sound of Metal. Um, we can cut the party scene, I think. Mm. Oh, wait, uh, let's let's run these down real quick out loud so we figure out which ones we're going to cut because I guarantee you at least one of these scenes ends up on the final top 50, so I, yeah. I don't want to rush through this since we're about to end our part one here. That's true. Okay, so, so we uh, have... So I'll, I'll go back to that later. I really like a lot of these scenes, actually. So I'm going to leave it for later. Batman! here because the rest of here, the rest of this list is stuff that I, I want to dedicate some time to when we're, we're, we're out of that time. Yes. So. Uh, the, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I'm done with cutting. And I want to put everything else into deeper discussion. So I will end my round and we can end this part to everyone's great relief. Yeah, I, I think we, we did not plan to go this long for our part one, folks. Uh, but yeah, come we all, we're going to re-record, not re-record, uh, we're going to record the second part of this list where we get to back half it locked in a little bit later this week and get it up as soon as possible for you to listen to. Uh, in the meantime, let's run down what we've, what we've locked in. Uh, the top 25 we have so far. The restaurant scene in Invisible Man. Rudy Giuliani in Borat 2. Niles in one more sentence in Palm Springs. Fern glues your broken plates back together in Nomadland. Joe after the show slash new perspective in Soul. The opening murder in Possessor. Silly games in Lover's Rock. The Freeport heists in Tenet. Capone murders people with a golden Tommy gun in Capone. <laughs> Satisfied from Hamilton. The hair tie toss in Birds of Prey. The death of the breakfast set. Oh, it's not supposed to be there. Guys, you only have 24 on this list. Because I put oh, wow. the wrong one on the wrong list. Uh, um, the hair tie toss in Birds of Prey. The town fights back in Baccarat. The first kiss in Sylvie's love. Diana takes flight in One Woman 1984. Robert's speech, and then Stephen's speech in Boy State. A surprising death in Critical Thinking. Delroy Lindo's monologue in Five Bloods. The karaoke scene in Tesla. The ending of Another Round. The elves went too far in Eurovision Song Contest. Selling oily cakes in First Cow. The heart-to-heart and almost kiss in Freaky. The farm fire in Minari. The doctor scene in Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. That's actually 24 because my bookkeeping failed me. Uh, but you know what? That's still a good stopping point. We're still halfway through this list, roughly. Uh, so let's sign off. This is Slash Film Daily. It, it, it arrives when it arrives, this episode especially, because we don't know yet. But I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you all next time for our part two of the same crew running down the rest of this list. Bye. <laughs>